Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. In part one, we discussed Robert F. Kennedy's death and the trial of Sirhan Bashara Sirhan. Authorities will have you believe that's the end of the story. Case closed but not so fast. Today, we discuss the shoddy LAPD investigation into Bobby's murder and discuss conspiracy theories that developed due to their lack of follow-up with witnesses and key evidence. We'll explore theories of mind control, a mysterious woman, and a possible second gunman. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If you enjoyed last week's history lesson from Professor Mike, stick around. He might be a clit denier, but he sure knows his history. This is Necronomapod. As for Kennedy... Second gunman is the one who killed Robert Kennedy, not Sir Han. Train says a security guard on duty that night is the prime suspect. In 1988, that stunned KPIX reporter Mike Hagedis. You know what? There's stuff here that I've never heard before. Hagedis interviewed Schrade, the coroner, an FBI agent, a forensic scientist... He hears the shots. ...and an investigative journalist. I don't think we really know what really happened that night. Dan Moldea had spent months looking into the shooting. His efforts were based in part on an FBI report indicating more bullets had been fired than Sir Han's gun could hold. The fatal shot was also delivered at point-blank range behind Kennedy's right ear. Uh, I was talking with uh, our bud Ed from Pod Van Dam the other day, and I think I was texting with you guys about it. Um, but he, uh, broke the news to me about the new, uh, 4k release of planes, trains, and automobiles, 75 extra minutes. I'm super hyped. Yeah. I saw you can get it on Amazon already. Like it's already been released. So. I looked last night though, and couldn't find it. Like, I can't find it streaming, version. but you can order the Blu-ray Yeah, as yeah, of yesterday. Yeah. But like I was trying to find a streaming version. Mm, I didn't see that. Um, but I couldn't find it, but 75 extra minutes. God damn. It's like a whole movie almost. Yeah. Where are your hands? Between two pillows? <laughs> Those aren't pillows! <laughs> <laughs> One of the funniest fucking movies ever. It always gets me a tear up at the end, though. Super oh, yeah. sad at the end. Oh, yeah. Since I couldn't find it, I ended up watching Uncle Buck, which might be my favorite John Candy movie. Nice. And then it got us talking. Like, you know, you make your comments about Corey Feldman never being in a bad movie. Yeah. I'm not sure John Candy has ever made a bad movie. I cannot think of one that I dislike. Yeah, I really can't. Mm. He's underrated. Is he underrated? I think he's underrated. I think he gets credit, but I don't know if he gets enough credit. 
I feel like people will talk more about Chris Farley than John Candy. And I think John Candy is better than Chris Farley. Yeah. Chris Farley is underrated. Kind of found that one role that worked for him and played that in everything. The wild party, you know, like the the Tommy Boy type character. Tommy Boy is pretty fucking funny, though. It's great. <laughs> and like Beverly Hills Ninja is hilarious. It's a stupid comedy, but it's funny. I think Candy's better. Candy could play some of those serious roles. Candy pulled off that that role in JFK mm. when he's the 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 New Orleans uh, attorney, or I can't remember. I haven't seen that movie in forever. But you know, he plays some of those serious roles. What are some John Candy movies? I'm drawing a blank. I I, I was flipping around the other day, and the, his Space monologue Falls. and Stripes came on. Spaceballs, explaining why he joined the army. <laughs> so great, Spaceballs, Stripes, um. Great oh, Outdoors. Great, Great outdoors. outdoors. Planes, Trains, Automobiles. Cool Runnings, which is underrated yeah. film. Home um, Alone. He had that part in Home Alone at the end. Yeah. Good stuff. Blues Brothers. I forgot about that. Little Shop of Horrors. It's a good movie. Oh. So it's not a bad one. I'd no. watch any one of those movies right now. Yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff on this list that I'm looking at that I'm like, I've never heard of any of this before. I have not seen like those two films that came out after he passed. I was looking them up last night. There was two of them that came out after he had mm. died. I have not seen those. I'm not sure what that is. Oh, and he was in National Lampoon's, the original one, uh, yes. Vacation. Yeah, he's he's the security guard at the uh, at Wally World. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah, he's in a lot of stuff that like you forget about because like he had just like some bit parts for a while there. It's kind of like a porn name, right? John Candy. <laughs> Could what, be. What's his actual name? Is that his actual name? I don't know. He's still on his page. No, let's find out. Is he Canadian? Canadian? He's from Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. It's like John Kandazinski or something. And he's just (laughs) like, fuck that. I'll cut it off. Watch John Candy. Give it to Marilyn Chambers and her pooper. That's his real name. Look at that. John Franklin Candy. So I'm not used to dealing with two part episodes. It was very weird for me last week, like telling the story of the assassination of Bobby Kennedy and then just being like, and Sirhan went to jail and uh, see you next week. I had like so much more I wanted to say. Like there's just so much more to the story. It's a good natural stopping point, I think. Good cliffhanger, if you will. I think it makes sense to tell that story and then to get in. I mean, otherwise it would have been what? 19 pages of notes. Sure. That have been, you know, we've never done anything that ridiculous. People's eyes will glaze over. It's too much. It is too much. I feel like my eyes were glazing, glazing over. Uh, <laughs> you know, Your eyes are always things. glazing over. What are you talking about? Well, I don't do a weed. But. You know, like we said last week, um, we kind of just focused on Bobby's life, the night of the shooting, what happened, and then Sirhan and his life and what led up to that point. We didn't really get into anything else on the backside of it. I know we touched on the trial and how Sirhan's defense just accepted the fact that he was guilty, didn't challenge any of the evidence, didn't look for more evidence, and just kind of focused on how do we get you know him life in prison instead of the death penalty. Kind of a subpar defense team. To say the least. Was it a public defender? I don't know that we even I talked about that. I do not that. believe it was a public defender, no. But. Was his family paying attorney fees? Uh, that's Was I it a pro know. bono um, publicity? I'm not, you know, I'm actually attorney? not sure who was paying because they, the, the, the Sirhan family couldn't afford that. Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, it's almost, I mean, you can almost question given who ended up defending him uh, with the, uh, um, not challenging anything and, uh, you know, just accepting that he was guilty. 
Um, but then, you know, his his chief defense attorney is going to be going facing charges himself. So to stay in the good graces of the right. court, like we talked about, um, you know, didn't didn't try to even defend him. Like the really. fix might have been in. Like the fix could have been in early on. Could have been. But that's a good question. I'm not sure what, who was paying them, if if anybody was. Mm. So this week, we're going to focus more on the theories and the conspiracy theories. Um, and then kind of interweave into that the police investigation and maybe where they failed a little bit. And the FBI investigation. The investigation into Bobby's death was conducted by the LAPD which set up a special tax task force unit known as special unit Senator known as uh, also called SUS or I guess sus as the kids say nowadays, <laughs> Hey bro, that's sus. <laughs> and they were, um, they also had assistance from the FBI, but as you know, Ian's covered in some of our other stories, you can imagine the police and FBI didn't really work well together. Um, they didn't share any information, witnesses, evidence, anything's like anything like that. The only thing they really had in common though, was that they both, had poor investigations. Potential leads weren't pursued. Many unknown people in the Ambassador Hotel who had acted suspiciously were never identified. Credible witnesses with virtually no reason to lie and who gave plausible statements were treated coldly and urged to change their story if it didn't fit the Sirhan narrative. And written witness interview statements were altered. On top of that, about 3,400 witness interview tape recordings were destroyed written transcripts of undestroyed interview tapes did not correspond to what were on the tapes. Police evidence logs were falsified and over 2,400 photos were incinerated. Physical evidence was also destroyed. I think the best way to get into this, like I said, is to go through each conspiracy theory and discuss how and why they originated and why authorities may have ignored evidence or covered it up. With that preface, I'm not sure it's a conspiracy it seems like yeah. When all that stuff's getting destroyed, it seems like there's definitely something going on. Or it's, I, I meant it's just, to say, it's not a potential conspiracy. It seems like an outright conspiracy that right. we see in in plain sight here. It's just it, it's crazy how you can just be like, ah, oh, it's all destroyed. Oh, ooh, accident. I have my little notes here for later in this episode, okay. and that's exactly what we're going to talk about. A lot more files getting destroyed. Okay. Like we don't have enough room to keep this stuff. Like a major event in U.S. history. And a major, a, well, yeah, we, a sitting senator was assassinated yeah. while running for president. Got to get rid of it. Yeah. Got to burn it. It's no more evidence. Or as we'll go on, they'll call it not evidence because, well, we'll get to that. So the first theory we're going to talk about is a second gunman. To be clear, uh, the first few years after the assassination and trial of Sirhan, Sirhan, there wasn't much of a hoopla made over the investigation. People who looked closely at the at the investigation had questions but much of the police evidence was kept confidential and locked away it wasn't until the early 70s when allard lowenstein a former congressman turned kennedy aide began looking closely at the investigation did all this really start to blow up lowenstein also recruited the help of paul schrade who we mentioned last week schrade was shot in the head during the shooting survived and was brought in by lowenstein to help try to get some answers from the lapd and he advocates for Sirhan's release, right? Yes. For his parole. Yeah, he will. And, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But he'll, he advocated multiple times for Sirhan's uh, release on parole. So here's what uh, Lowenstein and Schrade uncovered. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, before I move on, I always like to sort uh, give my sources at the start of the show. 
Uh, for this episode, I used the RFK tapes, which is a um, 10 plus part uh, podcast series that was done a few years ago. Awesome information in that, uh, the RFK tapes. I use the book Shadow Play by William Claiborne and Philip Mel- Melanson. I use the book The Killing of Robert F. Kennedy by Dan Moldea. And I use the polka dot file on the Robert F. Kennedy killing by Fernando Fara. Any hoodles. That's a lot of sources. That was less than last week, but. Look at you going balls no. deep in this story. <laughs> I've been reading books all year. <laughs> I went balls deep in a lot of things this year. <laughs> <laughs> So here's what uh, Schrade and um, Lowenstein just uncovered. LAPD ballistics expert and chief criminalist for the investigation was Dwayne Wolfer. Wolfer was in charge of the crime scene. This meant one of his roles was to search the kitchen area for potential bullets and bullet holes to try to account, to account for everything fired from Sirhan and possibly others' guns. In the end, Wolfer claimed that only eight shots were fired that night in the kitchen, which obviously worked out well for their narrative that Sirhan had acted alone. However, evidence claims otherwise. The LAPD officially stated that five bullets were found in the five others wounded when Bobby was shot. So that's five bullets we're at. Yep. They claim that two bullets were taken from Bobby's body and that the final bullet went through Bobby's shoulder pad and got lost in the ceiling. That was their account for all eight bullets in Sirhan's gun. However, if you remember last week, we noted that Bobby had three wounds on his body. One bullet was lodged in his spine. One bullet was lodged in his head and a third bullet exited his chest. The official police version only accounts for two of these bullets. Additionally... Well, if the third bullet exited, could it have hit multiple people? It could have, but it also came out of his chest, meaning it was going in front of him. People behind him were shot. Mm. But that's what they're trying to say, is that Sirhan, who was in front of him, shot, though, right? Correct. Which conflicts, we'll learn later, with the coroner's report. Absolutely. A lot of misinformation here. They're also still only accounting for two wounds in Bobby because the one through his shoulder pad, they're saying, went up in the ceiling. They're saying two were taken from Bobby. Yeah. They're, they're not even accounting for a third wound on him, which is just, it's, it's insane. How can an official police version of an assassination of a U.S. senator be so like blatantly not accurate? How's think, that possible? I think that's why there are so many conspiracy theories and what we're going to get into maybe going about how high up this might actually go. Yeah, something so easily provable to be not accurate. Just don't see how that could fly. And it's not like it's going to get better with what we're going to be talking about. Like, it only right. gets worse. Additionally, police and FBI records contain photographs of the door frames that were behind Bobby at the time of the shooting. These would have been the doors that he entered into the kitchen through. On the door frames, in these pictures, you can see the door frames. There's two holes that were circled and initialed by an LAPD officer. These photographs were labeled as bullet holes by both the police and the FBI. Dwayne Wolfer would later testify that these weren't bullet holes, but just damage done by serving trays over the years. The maitre d' Carl Euchre, who's one of the people we discussed last week as being right there near Bobby when he was shot, refutes Wolfer's claims and has stated that while he's no expert, he believes he believes he saw not just holes, but actual bullets lodged in the doorframe after the shooting. This is the maitre d' of the hotel, somebody who's going to be very familiar with the kitchen area. He's going to know if serving trays were just bumping into the door frames. Yeah, and you always claim that holes are holes, but I'm not sure that that's <laughs> accurate in this scenario, pal. I think there's a difference between a bullet hole that's and right. a tray bumping off. 
And like you could see these pictures and I, I think we, we might even post a picture. Like they're just like little tiny holes. I don't see how a serving tray even can do that. Yeah. Holes are not holes. Holes are not holes. In this case, holes. holes is not holes. That is true. <laughs> there were also several reports from witnesses who said they saw numerous bullet holes in the ceiling, not just one, as the LAPD claimed. However, none of this could be reviewed because within a year of Sirhan's trial, the actual door frames and the ceiling tiles, which were removed by the LAPD during the investigation, were all destroyed and thrown out. They claimed that since they weren't used during Sirhan's trial, they were no longer evidence because, well, they weren't evidence. They weren't used in the trial. This really reminds me of Waco. You remember when that door was just filled with bullet holes and you could really would have been able to tell which direction they were coming mm-hmm. from. The FBI was like, oh, no, we didn't need that. And yeah, just destroyed it. Sir, I'll get rid of that. Yeah. So so other than the photos, which were kept confidential at this time, like you they had no way, you know, the actual evidence is gone. Couldn't do any further testing on them. It almost seems like this. Some of the stuff should have went to the Smithsonian or or something, right? Certainly shouldn't have been just discarded. Well, like not this. if it's not going to fit the narrative of what they want you to mm. think. But yeah, I mean, you you can go see Lincoln, you know, his hat and you know all that, right? In, in DC, at his was this not at the time viewed as the kind of historic major moment in U.S. history that that that, that we sort of look back on it now. Maybe I not. I certainly think it was. I just don't know if people really knew the extent of. It just the seemed like an open and, that open was and going shut on. case at that yeah. point. And I think people wanted that because of Dallas and what right. happened with JFK and all the conspiracy theories. People wanted to just know Sirhan did it and he's locked away and I feel better. I, I That's what I think just by reading this stuff. It, it was a convenient story. You know, a foreigner. Had a gun in there. Didn't like his comments on Israel. Like, he was a Palestinian. Right. Open shut case. And and the thing about this, I had this in the notes at one point, but I think I took it out just to kind of save some space. You know, people, the JFK assassination it might be the most famous murder in American history. Certainly one of them. And people go nuts over the conspiracy theories. Yeah. But when you look at the actual case, the lack of evidence for conspiracy in JFK's assassination pales in comparison to the amount of evidence there is in the Bobby Kennedy assassination, which is everything we're about to lay out for you. There is some evidence for JFK, but when you compare it to the amount of evidence for conspiracy in, in Bobby's, it's not even close. The only major sticking point with JFK is the magic bullet, right? That someone couldn't hit those shots at that distance and that, Six seconds or whatever, right? That's really all there is. And then, but and then, isn't there's the theory of like someone switching the bullets out? Like the bullet that was found mm. at the autopsy was pristine, didn't look like it even went through a body, mm. let alone everything. But, but that's it. Not and, much. And, there. and I'm not saying there isn't anything there. I'm just saying evidence wise, this one blows it out of the water. I think that's right. Yeah. Um, and and so I think, but going back to your original point, I think by this point, the country was first of all upset over JFK, you know, on national television, seeing his head blown off, the conspiracy that followed, their sons and brothers and, and husbands are come, getting killed in Vietnam. You know, they didn't want more conspiracy with Bobby being shot. Yeah. They wanted it open and shut, I think. And so I think, and this is just my opinion, I'm just speculating, that people probably just wanted to accept it and move on. You can only take so much, right? The 60s is a tumultuous time. 
When the Warren Commission finished investigating JFK, did the people in this country generally accept that? That's a good question. I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. Like, what was the sentiment at that time? Or did they even know, like, who takes the time to read it? Or do you just read whatever the headlines are and then, you know, move on? I know, like, in my lifetime, it's always been, oh, there's a conspiracy behind JFK. It's like, that's what we accept now. I'm not sure what it would have been at the time. I think when I did the outline for Oklahoma City, I was looking up conspiracy theories, like uh, statistics on them. JFK was the most believed. I think that's conspiracy probably fair. Yeah, yeah. That was among American people. That was the number one. I, I'm just curious believed. if that's more recent or what the sentiment was in this country in 64, right. whenever the Warren Commission concluded that Oswald was the lone gunman. Yeah, and, and, and I certainly understand why. I mean, he was a sitting president who, again, on national television had his face shot off. But if you want to talk about conspiracies with assassination, this one is much bigger. It just, you know, he was the little brother. He was kind of the afterthought, you know, yeah. and hadn't quite reached that, that level yet that his brother had. But he was heading there. I certainly think so. Yeah. Over the years, with the advancement of technology, numerous audio engineers have tried to break down and re-listen to audio recordings from that evening in the kitchen. Some of these experts have stated that you can hear as many as 13 gunshots during the incident, which obviously is more than the eight that they attribute to Sirhan. Other experts, however, have said the audio is pretty inconclusive, and I kind of toss this one up to 50-50. I've heard some of the tapes. It's very hard to tell. I'm not an audio expert, but when you have experts on both sides going eh, yeah. inconclusive and eh, I hear 13, I, I'm not sure I put much weight in the audio evidence. Was that at the beginning of that Andrew West tape that we listened to last week or no? Was no, that not I part believe of that? that all was after there was, I mean, they might've broken down after, but I don't remember hearing any pops or anything like okay. that, that you could attribute. Yeah. But again, they're screaming. And I think that's where some of the, the divisive Nick divisiveness comes in is that some people are like, well, under this scream, you can hear a pop right. and other audio engineers are like, well, no, that's, you know, that, that could just might be someone hitting on the floor or anything. Exactly. So I'm not saying I, I, I have, I, I think either way on that one. I just know the experts seem pretty torn on it. So that's like nine one one calls. We've gotten into those debates yeah. that that stuff can go either way. Well, yeah, sure. even in like John Bonet, right? Like you could like, oh, you can hear the mom whispering in the yeah. background about to to uh, Burke to be quiet or something. Yeah. And once you think that now you're going to hear it every time because in your mind, that's what you're looking for. I buried Paul. Well, that's for real, though. I heard it. <laughs> Based on the findings of Lowenstein and Schrade, of which included rumors that Wolfer had switched out the bullets that were actually in Bobby's body with 22 caliber bullets from Sirhan's gun, a Los Angeles judge ordered that a forensic analysis be conducted to determine if the bullets recovered by the LAPD were all, in fact, from Sirhan's gun. The panel, made up of seven criminalists, ended up with essentially no answer. Four of them believed that all three bullets that wounded Bobby were from the same gun. One of them was fairly sure all three were from the same gun, and two of them were uncertain. All seven of them did agree that there was no evidence to support that they were all from Sirhan's gun, but also no evidence to support a second gun. They did agree that Wolfer ran a careless investigation and that the matter should be further looked into. Obviously, the LAPD touted this as a win, publicly stating, quote, they found no evidence of a second gun. And that's kind of what the headlines became. Hmm. 
This brings us to the biggest evidence of a second gunman, as if you couldn't maybe be convinced yet. It's the autopsy report. Per the final report by the LAPD, the autopsy report shows that Sirhan Sirhan acted alone. Unlike President John Kennedy, Bobby received a first-class autopsy, completed by renowned L.A. County Chief Medical Examiner Thomas Noguchi, who was known as, quote, coroner to the stars. He completed the autopsies of Marilyn Monroe, Sharon Tate, Janis Joplin, John Belushi, and many more. Dr. Noguchi is, well respect, is a well-respected, credentialed man, and his findings stated that all three bullets striking Bobby were fired from behind, that all three bullets had been fired at point-blank range and at an upward angle. Furthermore, because of the gunpowder residue found on Bobby's neck, ear, and shirt collar, the fatal bullet, which hit him right behind his right ear, was fired from about a distance of one to two inches away. All credible witnesses from that night put Sirhan in front of Bobby and no closer than two feet from him at any point throughout the course of the shooting. Thomas Noguchi would later write in his memoir that he never officially ruled that Sirhan had fired the fatal shot even though the LAPD stated the autopsy report supports their theory that Sirhan acted alone. Not long after the investigation, Noguchi resigned as chief medical examiner under pressure from the Los Angeles County Counsel's office. He was later reinstated to this position. What the fuck's going on here, Mike? From behind, at an upward angle. Is it how you like to do it, or are you talking about the story? <laughs> Both. <laughs> yeah, like, and like we said, like they had a bullet hole coming out of his chest. How is it? Well, so what the LAPD will have you think, and people aren't going to be able to see this, but the way we're sitting here, well, Ian would actually be behind me more. If you're Sirhan, Dave, Mm -hmm. you're you're sitting straight in front of me right now. Bobby at the time, if you remember, was turning to his left to shake hands with Juan Romero, the busboy. Right. So he's turning like this, and they're saying, boom, now Mm -hmm. you got my back. But you're still in front of me. Two feet away. Something's going to exit my chest. No. Two feet away, not point blank range. And we'll get into in a bit where the actual shooter may have been and who it was. But if you're, you know, you're maybe four feet from me now. Yes. So a little closer. You're going to put one behind my right ear, behind my chest, or come out my chest, and then one lodged in my spine. I'm not turning that much. I mean, he's just turning to shake. Seems very unlikely. Right. That one behind the ear doesn't make any sense. No. I'm struggling with that one. Gunpowder on his ear, neck, yeah. and collar. So you're close. But the way he was fa- the way he was turning to shake still doesn't make sense. He would have to be looking, like going to shake a person directly in front of him, but looking. And the trajectory like, and, just and, wouldn't oh, line up. Right. And yeah. you're also thinking, like, for, the, for Sirhan, and thinking that that shot entered at that exact moment. Which but, I will get to in a minute. But also, how is it possible for someone to be one to two inches behind him and fire three shots into him, but nobody, no credible witnesses saw that? Like, there was a lot of people around. There was a lot. Two inches away. is close. Is very close. It is. That doesn't seem when, possible. When the shots go off, though, there is chaos. Um. There is, you know, people running, people scattering, people falling. And you know what? Maybe we should save this for a couple paragraphs up when we get into yeah, the next part. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe Sir hands at the version shots and the real kill shots come after everyone's hitting the ground. Let's, I, let's I save think, it. Yeah. I think that's going to be our next subject we get into here. 
or in a, in a little bit. <clears throat> Fucking Sirhan. <laughs> if you just wouldn't have had those Tom Collins, he would have been of sober mind. He could have told us all this. We should have drank Tom Collins this week. Oh, come on, man. God damn it. <laughs> Maybe next week we'll do it. I got a text from my buddy Corey. He was pumped. We shot him out last week for, uh, he was the one I drank those Tom Collins with. Yeah. Got hammered, and then the next day he ordered a lemonade, <laughs> which is essentially the exact same thing, just with no alcohol. <laughs> the taste did not do well on uh, when he. I have gin, lemon juice, and simple syrup. I don't think I have any club soda, though, so we cannot uh, make him at the break. Tonic. Yeah, it's tonic. Yeah. No club soda. Son of a bitch. I saw his eyes light up. He's like, <laughs> Tom Collins. <laughs> Come on, we'll get drunk. We'll take a piss in the pond. <laughs> Meet the fuckers. Dating back to 1973, Allard Lowenstein and Paul Schrade began presenting their inquiries to the L.A. County District Attorney's Office, who essentially ignored their questions and told them the case was closed, there was no conspiracy or cover-up. The DA's office also told them that only crazy people ask these kinds of questions. They then met with, and that's a theme we're going to get through, you know, when we get to like the polka dot dress. It's the the police, the, the 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 DA's office wanting to make you feel like you're crazy, like you're the odd one because you're saying this or because you're thinking this. Just and these are just innocent no. people no. who are coming forward with information that they either witnessed or that they want to know more about. Nope. Should always ask questions. There's nothing wrong with asking questions in any situation. You're okay. It's allowed. You're allowed to ask questions. You absolutely are for anything. It's your God-given right, Mike, as an American. Woo. <laughs> USA, USA. We need like a Hulk Hogan's music on the things. <laughs> I am a real American. People got a lot of my voice tonight. Uh, Lowenstein and Schrade then actually had a meeting with LAPD Chief Ed Davis, who told them they needed to submit all their questions in writing. Lowenstein and Schrade submitted a total of 23 questions regarding the LAPD investigations of Bobby's death, the bullet holes, the distance Sirhan was from Bobby, and about interviews the LAPD conducted. Over the course of the next year, they would submit their questions multiple times, but never once received a reply from the LAPD. The last time they submitted their questions, they told the LAPD that if they didn't get a reply, they would hold a press conference and publicly call them out. And that's exactly what they did. In late 1974, with the help of their new attorney, Vincent Bugliosi, who was the infamous prosecuting attorney who went after Charles Manson and later wrote the book Helter Skelter, that guy is ridiculous. He is a ridiculous human being. Is Why? He? I don't know much about him. Just the way the way he talks about Charles Manson and Helter Skelter is absurd. Like he says, the first time he met him, his watch stopped uh, at the sight of Baron, so or, uh, Charles Manson. He's for the theater of it and the drama. Yeah, he's ridiculous. Well, that doesn't help so them in much. this case <laughs> when you bring him in. <laughs> um, Lowenstein and Schrade held a press conference with Bugliosi and publicly demanded answers from the LAPD regarding the number of bullets fired in the kitchen the day Bobby was shot and demanded to see photos of the door frames where they and several eyewitnesses believed possible ninth and 10th bullets were lodged. Again, ninth and 10th being Sirhan's gun only held eight bullets. Mm -hmm. He clearly, he didn't have time to uh, reload because even if he did get all eight shots off, he was being wrestled around. And, you know, you heard the clip last week, right? Just chaos. Yeah, you're not reloading as someone's trying to break your thumb. Because of the public pressure Lowenstein and Schrade had created, in August of 1975, the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors appointed a special counsel to the Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office to investigate the assassination and the theory of a second gunman. 
Even with the evidence discovered and submitted by Lowenstein and Schrade, the conclusion of the special counsel was that there was little or no evidence to support the theory that a second gun was fired that night. Convenient. Mm. As expected. Oh, go ahead. I would say, did they disavow the coroner's ruling then? Like, that's the official coroner's ruling as he was shot from the back. Are they I, are they officially disavowing that? I think what they're... No, I think what they're saying is that they don't believe that Sirhan couldn't have shot that way. I think that they... They're kind of the skirting it and saying... He was turned. They're explaining Bobby, yeah, it. Bobby was yeah. turned. And, well, the witnesses, you know, they don't know how close he was. He could have very easily got that close. They're threading a needle. Yeah, with, and they're just... They're still maintaining that, yeah, all that all adds up, but Sirhan could have done that. Yeah. I, you know, was the route they were going. Yeah. They you know, they're they were they were saying there's not enough evidence here to like reopen this as a second gunman based on, you know, well, that's what they're saying. But there, there were no witnesses that said Sirhan lunged at him or anything. Did he just pull the gun out and start firing or did he move forward? He was moving forward. Like he was kind of walking towards Bobby. And again, it, it also de- there's depends on what witness you, you take into account. But there's no credible witness that has come forward and said he was that close to Bobby. Okay. That like he, he couldn't have, been, have fired just like, as he was walking and then the last shot went as, through the neck. As soon as he started firing, you know, there were f- people wrestling him. It was actually, it was a professional football player and an Olympian. And I, I don't have their names in front of me. That were two of the ones that were with Bobby that were trying to tackle him. Like these were the big dudes. He wasn't getting much closer. They kind of pinned him on like that, that prep table and he might've fired some more shots, but he was then pinned to a table. Okay. I guess what I'm saying is the coroner's saying they were an inch or two away from him. And and I think the police are saying, well, Sirhan could have been like, we don't have, we yeah. don't have evidence that he wasn't that close to yeah. him. Yeah. I don't think they're throwing it out. They're saying this autopsy shows we're right. Sirhan was close and Bobby was turned and he got his talk. shots. Mm. A lot of it. The LAPD is playing it off like, oh, Noguchi, he supports us. Like you, you see his thing. And that's why I said, Noguchi said in his net memoir years later, I never Said Sirhan fired it. Well, that's probably why they tried to get rid of him right away. So he couldn't, you know, give further comment on what he actually meant. Yeah, they tried to set him up on like inappropriate behavior or something. Mm. Uh, It's very coincidental. Bragging about like dancing. I don't know if it was with Bobby. Somebody else had passed away not long after, like a celebrity. And like they said, Noguchi was dancing in like the the room when he was doing the autopsy saying like, I'm going to be famous. I'm going to be famous. And they tried to use that to like get rid of him and. So he resigned. That's weird. But then came back and was like, no, I'm not going to resign. I know I didn't do anything wrong. And then they brought him back. So he's still alive today, I believe. Really? Yeah. I believe so. Can you tell him Ian would like to interview him, please? Sure. Okay. Yeah, let him know. (laughs) As expected, after the special counsel ruled that there wasn't enough evidence to support the theory of a second gun, LAPD provided no follow-up or additional information. In their minds, this case was closed, and all evidence confirmed that Sirhan was the assassin and acted alone. Incidentally, in 1980, Allard Lowenstein was shot and killed in his office by one of his protégés, Dennis Sweeney. Sweeney suffered from schizophrenia and believed that Lowenstein was plotting against him in some way, trying to ruin him professionally. Sweeney shot Lowenstein and then patiently waited for the police to arrive. He was eventually found not guilty by reason of insanity and was sent to a facility to receive psychiatric treatment. Given Lowenstein's involvement in going after the LAPD, some have questioned if there's maybe more to Lowenstein's death and that Sweeney and his schizophrenia was used as the cover-up. 
I'm not saying there's much to that. I'm just saying it's it's could be a coincidence, Dave, but I know how mm. you feel about those. Don't love them. And everyone knows the LAPD is on the up and up all the time. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> In 1988, when the LAPD eventually released their case files due to ongoing public pressure, again, this is 20 years later, there was a memo in the files that stated, quote, do not answer Allard Lowenstein's questions because they contradict our public statements. Paul Schrade would continue to seek more information into the police investigations, but nothing more ever really came from it. He eventually became an advocate for Sirhan's parole and would often attend his parole hearings speaking on Sirhan's behalf. He would do this all the way up until his passing a few weeks ago, November 9th, 2022. Like two weeks ago. Yeah. Hmm. Exactly two weeks ago from the date we're recording this. Is it safe to say he went to his grave believing Sirhan did not act alone? Correct. He believed there was a conspiracy and that Sirhan, if he's not going to be granted a new trial, should at least be released on parole, which is still what Sirhan's defense team feels. Yeah. Outside of just destroying all those documents, like that's just blatant. This uh, this memo is pretty damning. Yeah. To he, read that. Yeah. Like Sirhan is probably owed a new trial, right? Like based on even all of this. But then you... You have to have evidence of to prove that maybe somebody else was involved, right? Like you have to you have to be able to prove. Does that mitigate his conviction? Like there's no question he was there firing a gun. Though. Correct. But he was convicted of murder. And if he didn't actually murder him would yeah. be would be what you have to prove. That's a tough sell there. It, I mean, it, and that's why it's been this long and there hasn't been. Yeah. So yeah, then I, I think, don't think he could get a second trial off that. I think that they've now someone switched, else needs a trial. They've switched their arguments to parole now because of that. Like, okay, we know, you know, he did what he did, but he's not the murderer. Let's have parole. Like, and here's, you know, we'll get into that. Yeah. Well, like the mitigation has to be that he was set up and hypnotized or the Manchurian candidate or something like that. And he was not acting under his own volition. All things we're going to, we, we will get into. Yeah. Then. Yeah. With that. Like, I, I generally don't buy into conspiracy theories because I think with something like this, there would need to be so many people involved that eventually someone's going to talk and you can't cover up something like that forever when you have to involve so many people. But I think like something like nine 11, I'm like, yeah, the things they say about the nine 11 conspiracy, well, like that, that's not possible. No, and because the at some stuff, point I, yeah, there's I've, too many people involved in that and someone will talk, but maybe this is a smaller net where you could pull it off. And there's not that many people involved, but it seems to be I agree. fairly evident that, Something was going on here. The 9-11 stuff pisses me off because I just find that to be completely disrespectful to like the victims and everybody involved in that, that there's a bigger conspiracy at play. But like with regards to something like this, like they're taking out a sitting senator who's running for president of the United States. So if you're involved, they're probably also not afraid to take you out if there's suspicion that you're going to talk or run your mouth, you know, and no one will be any of the wiser if they can pull off this conspiracy you know, maybe you have a car accident because they cut your brakes or that's, whatever it might that's be. That's fair. Sure. But I, I agree. Like, you always think, like, well, somebody's got to talk, right? Like, this, you can't cover this up forever. But there are people that have talked. Like, I saw online when I was kind of looking at the Project Artichoke stuff, there were some ex-CIA guys that claimed to be involved or know the With plans this? of things. Yeah, and with mm. JFK and stuff. Yeah. 
I just don't, maybe people just don't take them serious. Like what's that guy's, what's that guy's statement going to do to if no one picks up the story, this case wide open, people are like, yeah, fuck this guy. One guy's statement's not going to bring down the CIA. Right. And I think that's kind of where it goes. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, I think there's like this somewhere in between with these conspiracy theories, like actual conspiracies like this, that there's something obvious, obviously was wrong happening here. And things like Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma City bombing, where incompetence, it gets to the point where it's like, you can't believe the government would be that incompetent. So there has to be a conspiracy here. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So somewhere in between, you know. And Oklahoma City is the the rumors of MKUltra, correct? Am I mixing up stories? No, there was just like the government did that. Same thing with 9-11 where the government, it was like a false flag type Gotcha. Those stupid. Who am I thinking of with MK Ultra? Not Jim Jones. Um, Unabomber. Unabomber. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. So we laid the groundwork for maybe why there might be a second shooter or, or evidence of a second shooter. Obviously, the next big question is if there was, in fact, a second shooter, who was it? The only name that really comes up and the one that comes up consistently is Thane Eugene Caesar. In 1968, Caesar was employed by Ace Guard Service, and Ace was contracted by the Ambassador Hotel to provide security that night for the Kennedy campaign party. Caesar was a staunch opponent of the Kennedys, had publicly said he believed that if elected, Robert Kennedy would have, quote, sold the country down the road to the commies or minorities like (laughs) his brother did. Right, like when his brother literally backed the commies out of Cuba and tried to overthrow Castro. Dave, how that, dare that's you? That's right. How dare you come in here with facts? Fucking absurd. How <laughs> dare you, sir? Caesar also held a number of extreme far-right wing views, including supporter f- supporting former governor of Alabama, George Wallace, for president. At this time in 1968, Wallace was running as a segregationist candidate. In the name of the greatest people that have ever trod this earth, I draw the line in the dust and toss the gauntlet before the feet of tyranny, and I say segregation now, segregation tomorrow, and segregation forever. Oh, yeah, I love that fucking clown. So that's what Caesar is working with. That's who he supported for president. Jeez. You know, it's scary when you hear clips like that. 1960 is not that long ago. You know what I mean? That guy was leading in 1972... In the early Democratic primaries. It wasn't by then he reformed. Reformed. Uh, uh, he was he softened, softened a little bit. Uh. Well, at one point in time, I don't remember what election it was. He had he had seen the evil of his ways and he uh-huh. was no longer a segregationist. Yeah. Once someone took care of him and shot him in 1972. Yeah. So and then he was done too. He didn't die. He didn't. He lived for a long time. Yeah. yeah. It's just not that long ago. It's not that long. I was alive in 1970. <laughs> I was alive in 1972 when George Wallace was potentially going to be elected president of this country. Thank God you were 25 at that time. Dave. Oh, you voted right. against him. <laughs> Your vote was the one that counted. <laughs> Where's that real American again? <laughs> when interviewed by police, Caesar stated that he wasn't assigned specifically to protect Bobby, but when he came through the kitchen, he helped lead Bobby through the crowd and was standing right behind Bobby on his right side. When the shooting began, Caesar stated he reached for his gun and pulled it out of its holster. 
However, he was unable to fire it because he fell to the ground, pulling Bobby down with him. If you remember, we said earlier, Thomas Noguchi's autopsy report stated that all three bullets that hit Bobby were fired from behind. All three bullets had been fired at point-blank range and at an upward angle. The fatal shot entering directly behind Bobby's right ear. This would essentially put Caesar in the exact spot you would need to be to <laughs> shoot these. Yeah. Especially if you're mm. pulling him down with you and, you know, putting your gun up and shooting up. Is it possible he drew his gun when he heard gunfighter and he fell down and he popped off a couple shots by accident? We have a clip we'll play in a minute here where he says that did not happen. Mm. He, he claims he did not fire his gun that night. You could test for that, right? Yeah. Though Caesar admitted to drawing his gun at the scene of the shooting, he also added that the gun he had on him that night was a Rome 38, not a 22, like the caliber of the bullets the LAPD stated they found in Bobby. The LAPD quickly dismissed Caesar as a possible suspect and never asked to see the alleged 38 he was carrying that night. So we're just going off of what he said he had on him. Furthermore, did the rumors of Wolfer supposedly switching out the bullets maybe originate from this then? It's yeah. And I didn't see a lot to support that he switched them out other than Wolfer, which, you know, didn't run a good investigation. Yeah. Um, Seems to I don't, tie into this scenario. Though. I don't know enough about caliber of bullets to know if like the gunshot wound coming out of Bobby's chest could you tell if it was a 38 or a 22 just by looking at the hole? Would Noguchi have known that? That I don't know enough about, just bullets in general. But they pulled the slugs out of his body. They pulled though. two out, yes. Um, but then, the, you know, there's that third one that they claim they they, they haven't seen. Mm. Um, and then also, if it, if it, and this is what we'll get into, there's no proof that Caesar had a 38 on him. He might have had a 22. How do we know they were whose gun they were from? Right. Caesar admitted to police that while he he claims he had a 38 on him that night, he did at one time own a 22 caliber pistol, but he claimed he sold the gun a few weeks before the assassination to a man named Jim Yoder. Yoder would later confirm he had purchased the gun from Caesar. However, the receipt Yoder had was dated September 6th, 1968 and bore Caesar's signature indicating that Caesar had actually sold his 22 three months after Bobby's assassination. So <laughs> with the bullet switching, it could have been a 38. I don't know, but it, it could have been a 22 from Caesar. Yeah. That if, you know, we don't know what gun he had on that night because they didn't follow up on it. They didn't ask to see it. They didn't ask to see if it had been fired. That's enough reasonable doubt there to acquit someone else charged in this crime but the defense never got into any of that. The defense had had access to the autopsy report. Yeah, they not, didn't challenge it. Yeah, not specifically here, because I don't think there's any question that Sirhan was was shooting a gun that night. I think he was probably a distraction. He, he 100% shot him. Yeah, yes. so not to get him off, but in, in kind of an, any other circumstance where they were charging someone else, but, but this whole, I sold my gun earlier, but... There's proof he didn't. I think it's probably reasonable doubt that he's probably lying about something. If there weren't any credible witnesses that saw Sirhan shoot the gun and people that, you know, wrestled it away from him. Right. 
Yeah, this would get Sirhan a new trial for that, sure. That's what I meant. But, yeah. right, and that's what I mean. Like, based on this, you're not going to probably, you're not going to uh, convict Sirhan of first degree murder based on this evidence. This gives me enough doubt to say, well, wait a minute. I don't know if he actually murdered this man. I think he might have shot him. Also true. But then you'd have to, you know, there was no other really charge. I think there was assault with a with a gun. Maybe you find him guilty of that. Yeah. So, you know, it just brings that all up to the question, though. Seems like something's going on here. It should also be noted, given what we're going to talk about here in a minute, the security gig was not Caesar's full-time job. During the day, he worked at the Lockheed Aircraft Plant in Burbank, California, a job that would, would require him to have security clearance from the Department of Defense. The plant he worked at was alleged to have been a CIA-controlled U-2 spy plane facility and that Caesar often worked in an area that only special personnel had access to. After the assassination in 1973, Caesar began working at Hughes Aircraft, a job which Caesar said required him to have the second highest clearance level at the plant. Hughes Aircraft was also long rumored to have been controlled by the CIA. So make of this what you will, but Caesar may have had some ties to the CIA. Final note here on Caesar. One of the books I, I mentioned that I use as a resource was The Killing of Robert F. Kennedy by Dan Moldea. Dan Moldea interviewed Caesar numerous times and was initially convinced he was the one who killed Bobby, which is why he took the case up to begin with. He was going to prove that Caesar fired a gun. Moldea had a history of investigating organized crime and had previously gotten two murder confessions from former mobsters. Needless to say, Moldea, Moldea was kind of a badass. Is kind of a badass. He's still around. But by the time he was done questioning Caesar, Moldea was, and is to this day, 100% convinced Caesar had nothing to do with the assassination. He stated that Caesar was calm and collected every time they spoke. He never seemed rattled and spoke like someone who had nothing to hide. Moldea also arranged for Caesar to take a polygraph test, which Caesar agreed to take, and he passed. Moldea would go on to say, he doesn't think that failing a polygraph test should be used against you, but if you pass one, that should be taken into account. That's just his thoughts. That's sure I agree with that. Dan Moldea is the only person to have interviewed both Sirhan and Caesar. Uh, Thane Eugene Caesar passed away in 2019. Uh, we have a quick clip here. It's about a minute and a half. This is from Dan Moldea. I think he posted this on his Twitter. It's from his personal archives. This is Dan Moldea interviewing Thane Eugene Caesar. There was one other person who claimed to have been a witness, a guy by the name of Don Schumann. And did you know Schumann at all? No, I did not. Now, did you shoot Bob Kennedy? No, I did not. Considering your position relative to Kennedy, could you have fired your gun without at him without being seen? Yes, I could have. Is it possible that your gun went off accidentally? No. Okay, once again, did you shoot Bobby Kennedy? No, I did not. Did you shoot Bobby Kennedy intentionally or accidentally? Neither. Now, over the years, a lot of people have, when they talk about the possibility of a second gun at the Bob Kennedy murder, your name comes up. Why do you think that is? Because I was the closest person to him that had a gun. And you have been falsely accused all these years. And how does that make you feel? How has this affected you, your life? Well, you, you almost have to go into hiding in a way. You, you don't want anybody to know uh, where you live, especially the news media. Uh, 
they've tried to find me. I've had uh, Inquirer, I've had The Globe, I've had uh, a lot of uh, people try to find me, and basically they couldn't because I didn't make it very obvious where I was because I didn't want to be um, harassed by anybody. So two points on that real quick. One, he admitted that he could have fired shots and nobody would have seen or known. And to Dave, you had made mention of maybe he accidentally, he admitted to pulling his gun. Right. He had accidentally fired when he went down and pulled Bobby with him. He claims no. But would you ever admit that if that, if you accidentally did that, you look like a schmuck. You wouldn't admit that. Right. I mean, I guess not, but I mean, he's calm, cool and collected. Well, you know who also beat a lie detector test? Steven Seagal in the movie Half Past Dead, he did with Ja Rule. Holla, holla. <laughs> it can be done, you, fellas. It can be done. Hold this heartbeat. Is that what it is? Or you put a put a thumbtack in your shoe. Yeah, that's what they Step on say, it, yeah. right? Even yourself out so they can't detect your lies. Yeah. Caesar. So it could happen. He uh, he denies it and says it wasn't an accident. He pulled his mm. gun. And we don't know if there were ever any shots fired because there was no follow-up on it. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Like everyone wasn't detained and searched and like this guy. Well, remember there also wasn't a ton of police there. Like we talked about last week because Bobby didn't want the association with them. They didn't want the association. Yeah. With and like the campaign so, didn't even have their own security. It was just contracted by the ambassador hotel right. and no background checks. And, and you would think that ACE would have records of what he had. Like what? 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 What gun is our security it's guard just holding? Completely different, yeah. But there's no follow up, nothing into that. It uh, seems a lot easier to facilitate this kind of, I guess, political assassination, if you will, if that's what what happened here back then, than it would be these days. And now it'd be all over Twitter within what three minutes, right? There is an interesting note uh, from Moldea. While re- doing research for his book in the early 90s, Moldea spoke to multiple former LAPD officers who confirmed to him that there were definitely two bullets in the door frames of the kitchen and that it was criminalist Dwayne Wolfer who took them out. <laughs> and for all of his hmm. fuckery, Wolfer was eventually promoted to chief forensic chemist of the LAPD. Do you think the CIA, maybe this is a conversation for later, but you think they just go into something like this and they're like, Fuck it up. Make this the sloppiest shit ever. Just like kind of throw everything at the wall because then you can't really decipher. It obscures everything. Right. You're like, wait. And then you just start questioning everything. And then multiple conspiracy theories come out of it. it you know what? That, that makes sense. More than anything yeah. else. Like, how yeah. do you explain all that sloppiness? If they're just like, fuck this whole fuck thing it up. up. Yeah. I would imagine that's that's a very fair statement and could easily happen. So the next thing I just want to touch on briefly, uh, one quick note based on what we discussed last week with Bobby going after the teamsters and organized crime while investigating Bobby's death, the FBI received a report from an Edward Hugh Pohl who had served time with Jimmy Hoffa in the Lewisburg penitentiary. And he said that Hoffa had boasted to fellow prisoners that he had put the hit out on Bobby Kennedy. The FBI never followed up on this. No proof. No proof. Probably just talking shit. Probably. I'd probably look into it a little bit, but then you have to make the connection of Sirhan to the mob or, you know, however that might go. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you ever lost a job, had a bad breakup, or simply just felt stuck in life? 
Ever wish life came with a user manual, much like our cars or appliances do? Wouldn't that be great? Lost your job? Turn to page 63. Just got dumped? Turn to page 32. Feeling depressed? That'll be on page 104. Unfortunately, it's not that simple. However, BetterHelp Online Therapy is basically the next best thing. So the next time you're feeling stuck, why not check them out? BetterHelp therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and learn productive coping skills, which makes therapy the closest thing to a guided tour of the complex engine called you. BetterHelp has connected over 3 million people with licensed therapists. It's convenient, secure, and accessible anywhere, all done online. Therapy can have many benefits, be it learning new coping skills, self-empowerment, dealing with trauma, or even having a clearer mind. Look, everyone deserves to feel their best, and BetterHelp makes it easier to get started. They're the world's largest therapy service and offer all the benefits of in-person therapy, but are more convenient, accessible, and more affordable. After filling out a brief questionnaire, you'll be matched with a therapist, and from there, if things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist whenever you'd like. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. So get unstuck with BetterHelp. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Necro. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Necro. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I think one of the most interesting and mysterious conspiracies of the Bobby Kennedy assassination involves a girl with the polka dot dress. And really, it centers around the eyewitness testimony of three individuals, Sandra Serrano, Vincent DiPiero, and John Fahey. Let's start with Sandy Serrano. On the night of the California primary, Serrano, a Kennedy campaign worker, was at the Ambassador Hotel. During the election party, she got really hot, decided she wanted to go outside and sit on the back fire escape. When she was sitting outside, she heard what she described as a car backfiring. A few moments later, a girl and a young man came running by her on the steps. The woman was yelling, we shot him, we shot him. Serrano asked them who they shot, and the girl responded, Kennedy. Serrano went inside, and within minutes, the ballroom was chaos. Serrano asked someone what happened, and when they confirmed to her that Bobby was shot, she told them what she had just witnessed. The man she was speaking with told her she needed to speak to a police officer. However, on their way to finding a police officer, Serrano was grabbed by a reporter from NBC who asked if she can give an interview. Serrano explained to the reporter what she had witnessed on the fire escape. She saw an attractive Caucasian girl in a polka dot dress running down the steps with another man who at quick glance appeared to be Mexican or a person of color. She also noted that the girl had an odd nose. And that will be a theme with what we see later on with witnesses. Later that night, she was taken to the LAPD station and gave her statement to the police. Over the course of the next week, the LAPD would make her life a living hell. She was interviewed and questioned for hours. She was given lineups of polka dot dresses and asked to identify which one the girl was wearing. 
She was asked about the size of the dots on the dresses. Were they quarter-sized, dime-sized, nickel-sized, and so on. Did this start that night? She would give her first statement that night. Like, did they start this? But then whole... I think it was, you know, in the coming days that they would bring her in for the lineups. Okay. They would ask about what color the dress was, what color the dots were. Um, almost like trying to find any difference between any other statements made just right. to discredit. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you're talking quarter, dime, nickel, it's all really similar in size. Yeah, it's like, ridiculous. What are you talking about? <laughs> Serrano would say that she felt like she was being attacked, that the police were accusing her of lying and trying to catch her on it. Uh, Criminalist Dwayne Wolfer, our good friend we've mentioned a few times, even went as far as conducting tests to determine whether Serrano could have heard the gunshots from her location on the fire escape and found that she could not have heard the shots. Like, what is happening? What are we even talking about here? This is a very strange treatment for a murder witness. Yeah, right. Actively, obviously trying to discredit her. Discredit her Why? hearing gunshots on the back fire escape. But if you remember what we just said earlier, Serrano never said she heard gunshots. She said she heard what sounded like a car backfire. backfire yeah. This was just an attempt by Wolfer to try to discredit her story. What Serrano didn't know and what the police never made her aware of was that there were dozens of other witnesses that night who gave statements to the police describing seeing a girl in a polka dot dress. They all described her as Caucasian, attractive, in her 20s, and they all, not many made a comment about her nose. Either it was funny looking or wide or big. Many of them also said they saw her with two other men that day, both of whom had darker complexions. So it lines up. It lines exactly. up. But she didn't know that. She just knew that the police were attacking her, making her feel uh, you know, like she was wrong. One of these witnesses was Vincent DiPiero. DiPiero was working as a waiter at the Ambassador Hotel the night of the shooting. Afterwards, he had told police that he saw a girl in a polka dot dress hanging around the hotel and specifically the kitchen area that night. He also stated that he had seen Sirhan and another man with this woman earlier in the evening. Like Serrano, DiPiero was unaware that others were making statements about the girl in the polka dot dress. And more specifically, he was unaware that Sandy Serrano had identified her as well. With this information, initially, the LAPD put out an APB on a girl in a polka dot dress. But all the while, they were trying to discredit and intimidate Serrano and DiPiero. The police tried to work it where they were telling Sandy Serrano, you only think you saw this girl because you heard Vincent DiPiero say this and make these statements. So now you have it in your mind that you saw her. And they would tell DiPiero the same thing. Oh, you heard Sandy Serrano say this. So now... uh, you think you hear that you, you, you know, you, you, in your mind, you're just telling you, you saw this trying to make them seem crazy. The police didn't tell them that dozens of other witnesses had come forward with the same information. They tried to make them feel crazy for thinking that they saw this girl. We have a clip. This is, it's about eight minutes long. This is Sandy Serrano being, I'm going to say questioned, interrogated by detective Hank Hernandez of the LAPD. Um, the first part of the clip is Sandy Serrano's statement to the NBC reporter that we talked about before she ta- spoke with the police. It's her statement to the reporter, and then it cuts to a clip of Hernandez questioning her on the woman in the polka dot dress. Um, at times, it's a little difficult to hear Serrano because of the quality of the audio and because she's upset. She's talking very fast and you know in a high pitch, um, but listening to Hernandez kind of manipulate, intimidate, and break her down, you know. Listen, and we'll get your thoughts. Yeah, and like you said, this is completely 
like obviously trying to discredit them. This is trying to find these two people guilty of something. Yeah. What in, possible reason would they have for doing instead this? Instead of like put this effort it, into the investigation, you might have found some more stuff. Yeah. Out. Yeah. Yeah. Completely out of line. Like it it's was, just re- reverse of what should be happening. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it was exactly. molding it to fit the Sirhan yeah. narrative. Here's the clip. It's about eight minutes long. I was standing there just thinking, you know, thinking about how many people there were and how wonderful it was. Then this girl came running down the stairs in the back, came running down the stairs and said, we've shot him. We've shot him. And I says, who did you shoot? And she says, we shot Senator Kennedy. She had on a white dress with polka dots. She was light skinned, dark hair. She had black shoes on. A boy came down with her. He was about 23 years old, and he was Mexican-American. Because I can remember that, because I'm Mexican-American. Sandy, I'm not going to ask you any more questions. Not a single one. I do want to talk to you like a brother. Look, I presume, I don't know if I relate to anyone. I'm Catholic. Mm -hmm. Are you Catholic? Yes and no. Yes and no. Does that mean that you you don't have All right, okay, here's the thing. You're an Italian young girl. You know that for some reason, this was made up. So what, here's what you have to think about right now, mm-hmm. is that I think you owe it to Senator Kennedy, the late Senator Kennedy, to come forth, be a woman about this. If he, and you don't know, and I don't know whether he's a witness right now in this room watching what we're doing in here. Don't shame his death by keeping this thing up. I have compassion for you. I want to know why. I want to know why you did what you did. This is a very serious thing. I think those people. No, 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 Sandy. Remember what I told you about that you can't say you saw something when you didn't see it? Sandy, look, I can can explain this to the investigators where you don't even have to talk to them, and they won't talk to you. Mm -hmm. I can do this. But I know that as you get older, one of these days you're going to be a mother. You're going to be a mother, you're going to have kids, and you know that you can't live a life of shame knowing what you're doing right now is wrong. Well, maybe you don't feel it, but when you get older, you will. But please, in the name of Kennedy. I don't want to move in with Kennedy. I'm going to get this, but... If you know that this is wrong, Sandy, you know that this is wrong. You might want to be pushing it off with a smirk on your face, with a smile, but you know that deep inside what you're for her, I've never seen a I'm talking about what you have told here about saying a person tell you we have shot Kennedy, and that's wrong. No, it isn't, Sandy. Please, don't have to I love this man. And you're shaming your, he is right now, he can't even, well, I'm trying not to shot, but this is a very emotional thing with me too, you see. Are you afraid right now, Sandy? Are you afraid? No, I don't like this. I know you don't. I'm afraid, I don't like it. No, you're afraid. See what happens. There's, there's two ways to approach this thing. The first one is for me to appeal to you as a decent woman that campaigns for Senator Clinton. This is the one way I can The other way is for me to hold up the paper, go out here and tell these people, have it come where they're going to come upstairs. And this is a wrong way because look, I have to look at myself when I shave in the morning. I look at myself. And right now I have my deepest compassion for you because you're a young lady. And I want to try to do whatever I believe is best for you. What's best for you? Well, I don't... 
there was this girl coming. She was coming downstairs and she said, Michelle, Michelle. And all this, this girl in the polka dot dress, a white dress, polka dot. And I don't I know what I'm telling you. I know what I'm telling you. It, it, it said I've never even seen a girl with what with a COVID I'm dress. saying that and nobody told you we had shot candy. Yes, somebody told me that we had candy. No. I'm sorry, but that's true. That is true. Look, one of these days you're going to be 27 years old, 28 years old. What kind of a person? It's, it's, a, no, it's, a, it's a whole mess of things. What's that going to be doing? Well, it's too messed up. Even I can't even remember what happened anymore. But well, number one, do you know that nobody told you we had shot Kennedy? No, somebody told me we had shot Kennedy. No, That's nobody true. told you. Where did he tell you this, Sandy? Outside. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. Yes, sir. This is, yes, sir. Sandy, like I say, don't be, uh, don't be... Well, I'm not going to say, I truly believe somebody told me, and I'm not going to say, no, nobody no, told me no, just no. to satisfy anybody else. No, just the truth to satisfy yourself. No, I'm not. Yeah. To satisfy the, the family, the remaining family of this family. The Kennedys have had nothing but tragedy here since the first president Kennedy, now Senator Bobby Kennedy. Now what next? They have enough. They, at least it's a consolation to them. And I'm certain, and you mark my words, that one of these days, if you're woman enough, you will get a letter from Echo Kennedy, personal, thanking you for at least letting her rest on this aspect of this investigation. Somebody told me that, honest. No, well, really. no, look, Sandy, and I'm not going to put words in your mouth, yeah. but I want you to tell me the truth about the staircase. Nobody in that staircase, what you're telling me here, told you that we have shot Kennedy. Where did she tell you this? Outside. Outside place. I believe I was on the staircase. You say I believe I was on the staircase? Sure. Tell me, look, a hat lie. A hat lie is as much as a lie because there are no hat lies. Yeah, it was on the stairway. That's what she said. Sandy, look, you're basically a decent person. Thanks. You're basically a decent person. But here you are, you're 20 years old. This is going to change your whole life in here. You're growing real fast in this room right now because you know that you have to make a decision to tell what's truthful, what's honest, what's right. No, you can't say that. I can't go. Well, you can't say it with your lips. You can say it, but with your feeling, your heart, your soul, you've told me here. These are lies. This story is a lie. This didn't happen. As we listen to excerpts from the last 20 minutes, we hear Serrano begin to wear down. Sergeant Hernandez senses her exhaustion and in his patronizing manner begins his endgame. Making yourself suffer like this. I'm not making myself suffer. I'm not suffering. The only time that you will be wrestled, and I can tell you right now, you tell me what happened out there, and I can assure you that nobody else. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. I
I mean, even if you're a witness, I don't think you should talk to the police without your attorney there because that's f- absolutely outrageous. Yeah, that just flipped on her. I, I, real don't, quick. I don't understand what's going on there. It was an interrogation yeah. of, of her. Yeah, completely. And, and I would have said, well, fuck yourself. I'm leaving now. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm giving, I'm trying you're not to talking to me like that. Yeah. yeah. She was a 20 year old girl. She was, you know, I guess scared mm-hmm. and thought she was, you know, trying to just do what was right. I mean, by the end, she agreed to, fa- to sign their statement saying that she didn't actually see it, even though she thinks she did. That's crazy. She signed their statement. And, I, you know, I love how he's bringing up. I don't love it, but it, it pisses me off. You know, one day you're going to be a mother, like just manipulating her. You're going to have to live with yourself in the shame of this lie. Uh, but Bo- like, why Bobby, is it a lie? Bobby I, might be in the room tonight. He might be watching us. Do you want him to see this? Bizarre. Let him rest peacefully. Ethel Kennedy might send you a letter one day right. thanking you for letting this, this rest. Why Just couldn't she have seen a girl in a polka dot dress say something? But she just misheard her. It doesn't mean that the girl in the polka dot dress wasn't there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I if the Because in their minds they had so many witnesses saying the polka dot dress that they had to kill it. Right. And in their mind, she was the one that went on the news and started this frenzy. So if they can get her to admit that she didn't see it. Well, then, oh, everyone just heard her story, and then their minds went wild. She's the it. origin of that story. She's the one that has to Because dis- she spoke to that it. reporter. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Man, that is fucking wild. You would think that she killed somebody. You would. Like, she was on in- you would. being interrogated Absolutely. for murder. Again, don't ever sit down in a room with police without your fucking attorney there. Ever. I don't care sure. what the scenario is, <laughs> what whether you're a witness, a defendant, whatever it is, don't do it. Ever. I don't think Sirhan was questioned that hard. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> After Detective Hernandez broke Serrano, she agreed to sign the LAPD's paperwork, essentially forcing her to say she was wrong about this girl in the polka dot dress. At this point, the police called off the APB and publicly stated that the night of the shooting, Serrano was hysterical and made a mistake on what she thinks she saw and heard. They stated that people probably saw Serrano's interview on TV and the rumors and, quote, sightings about this girl spun out of control, even though she didn't exist. They stated no girl in a polka dot dress was present that night. So essentially, by getting her to admit that she was she didn't see it, they were cutting off the head of the snake. Oh, everything else from that just circled. In 1988, when the LAPD case files were finally released, it was discovered that they had interviews and statements from dozens of witnesses who described seeing a girl in a polka dot dress with two other men at the hotel that night. All of these statements were buried and never followed up on. Once they had broken Serrano, they considered this issue resolved. Dozens. Dozens. Yeah. Finally, there's witness John Fahey. Fahey's story, if you take it for what he says, is a wild one. 
and it's covered in detail in journalist Fernando Farah's book, The Polka Dot File on the Robert F. Kennedy Killing. It's not a great name for a book. It's not. It's wordy. <laughs> it's a little wordy. It, it's also not the, the, <laughs> mo- the most well-written book. Uh, at the time, working for the Hollywood Citizen News. Oh, I watch them every night. Did you? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I believe this was a paper. <laughs> oh. Um, Farah kept records of his interactions with Fahey. Fahey, again, being the witness, Farah, the journalist who wrote the book. His interactions with Fahey began shortly after the shootings happened. Farah states that Fahey reached out to him after being blown off by authorities. To my knowledge, this is the only book that is fully dedicated to the girl in the polka dot dress theory. In short, Fahey was at the Ambassador Hotel the morning of the assassination. He stated he was in a coffee shop waiting on a business meeting when he struck up a conversation with a woman who appeared to be nervous about something. In Fahey's mind, he was just trying to hit on this attractive girl, but the more she spoke to him, the more he felt something was off. He said the girl spoke about how much she hated Bobby Kennedy and said, quote, Mr. Kennedy will be taken care of. Hey, doll face, let me <laughs> polka your dot. <laughs> something like that. Sure. Something like that, right? I don't and think then she, she was, just starts talking I, about, oh, hello, Mr. Kennedy. <laughs> I don't think she was in the polka dot dress at this point in time. And also, interestingly note, Fahey was a married man. So he kind of wanted to kayfabe a lot of this, even when he was working with Farah, because mm. he didn't want his wife to find out about what he did this day. So this girl went on to tell Fahey she was being watched and followed and that she would soon need to leave the country. <laughs> Fahey then told Farah that the lady asked to tag along as he went on some sales calls that day. Fahey, trying to learn more about why she was nervous and probably wanting to get, you know, his dick sucked, um, wanted to know more about what her Kennedy comments meant. So he agreed to let her come along. I got to sure. say that whole thing of saying like that you need to get out of the country and you're being followed. Like, I don't want you to, I don't want to hang out with you anymore. Yeah. Check. <laughs> I'm going to leave. Like, yeah. Enjoy that espresso. You're not coming with me on my job. Well, or do you say this girl's crazy and she probably sucks a mean cock. <laughs> <laughs> then you end up like George Costanza in the hotel room and you're handcuffed That's to right. a bed in your yeah. underwear. What do you have? Two bucks? Yeah. Two dollars. <laughs> I wasted my whole afternoon for two dollars. <laughs> So as they're driving, Fahey notices that they are being followed. Even when he pulls off at different stops, the car just keeps following him. Meanwhile, this girl's acting still nervous and continues going on about how Kennedy's going to be taken care of. Fahey also mentioned that throughout the course of their day together, this girl gave him several different names, uh, saying she had to protect him and not get him too involved. <laughs> Eventually, Fahey drove her back to the Ambassador Hotel and dropped her off around 7.15 that night, the night of the assassination. He said she wanted him to join her, but he figured he'd better not. By this point, he was freaked out by everything she was saying. After the shooting, Fahey told Farah that he went to the police and the FBI to tell him what he had witnessed, but felt like he wasn't being taken seriously, so that's why he reached out to Farah. How about he reached out to the FBI, I don't know, before the shooting? Hey, this girl says she wants to take care of Kennedy, <laughs> and not the way Marilyn Monroe took care of the Kennedys. I like how it took him a full day of... Just hanging out with this woman to finally get creeped out by yeah. what she was saying. It's like Fahey's day off or something, driving around <laughs> yeah. L.A. But he was getting his dick work, sucked yeah, with the girl in the polka dot dress <laughs> who's talking about she's going to kill Kennedy that night. <laughs> okay. So while the story does seem a little bit absurd, it's important to know a two, little bit. two things. <laughs> 
First, at the time of the reporting, all at the time of reporting all this to authorities and then to Farah, news of the alleged girl in the polka dot dress had broken. But other than the dress, no other identifying issues were well known. Two, Farah took Fahey to a sketch artist to have them draw a rendering of what this girl looked like based on Fahey's description. Once done, Farah checked with Serrano and DiPiero, who both confirmed that while not a perfect match, the features in the sketch were very similar to what they remember the girl in the polka dot dress looking like. Finally, during the course of Farah's interviews, he learned from Fahey that the girl he was with that day of the assassination had also mentioned she practiced Rosicrucianism and that she had recently met a woman named Anna Chenault. More on Chenault in a little bit here. It's also interesting to note before closing out on the polka dot dress theory in their 2018 book titled the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy authors, Tim Tate and Brad Johnson believe that they had finally identified the girl in the polka dot dress as Elaine Neal. They believe her husband uh, worked for the CIA and he was linked to their mind control experiments. Unfortunately, Neil passed away in 2012 and her husband had died years prior. So there wasn't much more for them to follow up on or to get in contact with them. But the fact that they believe her husband was linked to the CIA and mind control experiments does lead us into our next theory. If you remember from part one, we briefly touched on the fact that Sirhan engaged in self-hypnosis while practicing Rosicrucianism and was hypnotized by both the prosecuting and defense teams. Journalist Robert Kaiser was allowed to sit in on these hypnosis sessions. He stated after the fact that Sirhan appeared to him to be very easily hypnotized by the psychiatrists. And like we said last week, many witnesses stated that Sirhan appeared very calm in the wake of the shooting. He had peaceful eyes, uh, quote, peaceful eyes is what they say. And even while being bombarded by people trying to wrestle him down and disarm him, he was calm and didn't seem to be excited Mm. or struck by what was happening. Well, you're a non-believer in hypnosis. What do you think about his ability to be hypnotized? Do you think it's just bunk? We'll we'll save that for the end. Okay. In 2007, (laughs) because it all ties in, it all ties in. In 2007, Sirhan's new defense team began working with Dr. Daniel Brown, an associate clinical professor of psychology at Harvard. Dr. Brown met with Sirhan over the course of six different two-day sessions. In 2011, Brown stated in an affidavit submitted for a parole hearing that it was his belief that Sirhan did not have any form of personality disorder, nor any childhood trauma disorder, and that he, f- he felt Sirhan was not acting of his own volition the night of the assassination. He found it odd that Sirhan remembers many of the tragic events he witnessed earlier in his life, but could not remember actually shooting Bobby Kennedy. Brown went on to say that Sirhan was one of the most hypnotizable people he had ever worked with. So this leads to the theory of the Manchurian candidate. Was Sirhan Sirhan hypno-programmed to assassinate Bobby Kennedy? Mm-mm. Ian, I think you have a quick uh, interlude here about MK Ultra. So with the Sirhan Sirhan hypnosis defense, MK Ultra gets brought up a lot, but we're actually talking about Project Artichoke, which was the precursor to MK Ultra. Remember back to that episode, how it went. Project Bluebird quickly changed into Artichoke on August 20th, 1951. And then finally to MKUltra in 53. All of those focused on mind control. Back in our MKUltra episode, we talked that in 1973, director of the CIA, Richard Helm, ordered that all of the files regarding any type of mind control work be destroyed. That was as soon as MKUltra was found out. Seems to be a common theme tonight. Just destroy shit. (laughs) It's the easy way out. 
uh, around 30,000 of those files ended up being found and through hearings and some FOIA requests that took uh, years and years to process. We finally got some of that information on what the CIA was doing. But if you believe them at face value that they started this in the early 50s and it ended mid 70s, I mean, that's got to be a lot of paperwork that was destroyed to only have 30,000 left over. Sure, sure. So Project Artichoke's sole purpose was to determine whether a person could be involuntarily made to carry out an assassination. That's all that project was. Uh, We know this from a memo sent in January of 1952 that asked, quote, can we get control of an individual to the point where he will do our bidding against his will and even against fundamental laws of nature, such as self-preservation? That's Mm. that's a shoot. Like, that's for real. That's wild. A later artichoke memo described the interrogation of a foreign national CIA agent who, quote, speaks and understands English quite well. The artichoke interrogation was done in a safe house. The subject was taken to the safe house in a, quote, covert car, which picked them up at a secure location. At the safe house, he was given a standard interrogation, which was just like a pretty easy questioning, and then some whiskey. This was followed by two grams of phenobarbital, which put this guy to sleep. The next day, a lie detector test was given, and the subject was given intravenous chemicals. Following the chemically-assisted interrogation, according to CIA terminology, the, quote, artichoke techniques were applied in three stages. Quote, a false memory was introduced to the subject's mind without his conscious control of the process, which took 15 to 20 minutes. The procedure was repeated, this time taking 40 to 45 minutes. The procedure was repeated again with the interrogation added. The artichoke team used medications including barbiturates and amphetamines, hypnosis, interrogation, and deliberate induction of false memories of the procedure. The subject was told that part of what he remembered was actually a dream. The artichoke team concluded that the procedure was successful Uh, The memo said, quote, the subject, although not having specific amnesia for the artichoke treatment, nevertheless was completely confused and memory was vague and faulty. Can you imagine doing that to American citizens? Purportedly American citizens. Sirhan was not an American citizen. Ex-CIA officer Edward Hunter, who worked on artichoke, talked about implanting false memories that work that was done by Chinese intelligence agencies. And that's where we got the idea from this from was mm. from China, but he talked about how we passed them up um, as in that we figured out how to change someone's mind instead of just influencing their beliefs. He said, quote, the Chinese masses were right in coining the phrases brainwashing and brain changing. There is a difference between the two. Brainwashing is indoctrination, a comparatively simple procedure. The brain changing is immeasurably more sinister and complicated where you merely have to undergo a brain cleansing to rid yourself of imperialist poisons. In order to have a brain changing, you must empty your mind of old ideas and recollections. In a brain changing, a person's specific recollections of some past period in his life are wiped away as completely as if they never happened. Then to fill in these gaps in memory, the ideas which the authorities want this person to, quote, remember, are put into his brain. Hypnotism and drugs are cunning procedures that plague the body and do not necessarily require any marked physical violence are required for a brain changing. 
China evidently was not so, quote, advanced as yet. She was using brainwashing, and when that didn't work, resorted to the simpler purge system, which would mean, you know, killing off people. Mm -hmm. Um, But in time, she will use the brain-changing system, too. The way he's saying it, the brain-changing system that the CIA figured out. Scary. That's all for real. That's not conspiracy stuff. That's written. Yeah, this, this is all, like, factual information. So... It's definitely possible that Sirhan could have been subjected to something like this because it's not out of the realm, right? Of what they wanted to accomplish, we don't know if they accomplished it or not. I guess Sirhan would be it if that you know he would be a successful, like you said, not an American citizen. A little bit of uh, deniability there. And if you remember from last week, we had said in 1966 he was working at the stables, training to become a jockey. He was involved in that accident where he fell off a horse and had a head injury. Official medical records show that Sirhan was never admitted to the hospital. He received a few stitches in his head and was sent home that day. However, Sirhan recalls something different. While under hypnosis with Dr. Brown, Sirhan recalled being in the hospital for several days, maybe even up to three weeks, in a room filled with other beds. The entire time, he was in and out of consciousness. This leads then to the speculation that Sirhan may have been involved in the MKUltra program. Perhaps Sirhan proved to be the best candidate because, again, as Dr. Brown had stated, he was very easily hypnotizable. What I think is interesting is uh, two things. First, Ian, you kept talking about false memory, but in Sirhan's mind, he has zero memory of the shooting. So could that have just been like they didn't? They didn't get that part or they were just going to leave it blank on purpose. I just thought that was interesting when you were talking about that. Now they didn't fill him in with a false memory. He just has no memory. So, you know, my understanding of it would be that like, if it actually worked the way that they wanted it to, is that a person could just be, you could just turn it on that. They're like, okay, this is what I have to do. I need to go assassinate them. And then as soon as it's over, they hear a trigger word or something, they come out of it and they just are like, I, I don't know what just happened. And, and that's going to make sense for what we're about to talk about. The other thing of note, and I didn't have this in the notes, but when you talked about it, you said that there could be drugs or hypnosis used. There were reports that um, when Sirhan was drinking his Tom Collins in the hotel bar, he was he was talking with the lady in the polka dot dress like he was with her and she kept talking to the bartender. Um, there's theories that almost, you know, he might have been putting something or she might have been putting something in his drink ahead of time before the shooting. Because then remember, he, he said he gets he drank a few drinks. He, he remembers going to his car. Oh, I'm too drunk to drive home. I'm going to go back and get some coffee. Boom. He remembers nothing after that till he's being tackled by the people. And like he went to the hospital in uh, 66 mm-hmm. artichoke turned in or was, you know, absorbed by MK ultra in 1953, just because that happened in 53 didn't mean that artichoke stopped. I mean, they continue to push forward with that. It's just, it all fell under the umbrella of MK ultra. Right. Another bit of information, interesting information that came up while Sirhan was under hypnosis with Dr. Brown sometime around 2008, while under hypnosis, Sirhan made mention of being with a girl the day he shot Bobby. Sirhan had never stated this before. He went on to say he spoke to this woman, and she was the one who led him into the kitchen area that night. He said he was trying to flirt with her, but she seemed distracted. 
Sirhan stated he remembered her pinching his elbow. Dr. Brown then discovered that while under hypnosis, every time he pinched or touched Sirhan's elbow or said the words, quote, shoot on command, Sirhan would get into what he called range mode, essentially in a position to fire a gun. Since these discoveries by Dr. Brown, Sirhan's defense team has argued that they believe Sirhan was hypno-programmed and believe this was done by the CIA. So this is now one of their main defenses when they go in for parole hearings or try to submit new evidence. They fully believe he was hypno-programmed and was not of sound mind when he did this shooting. And I really think that if you said that to the average per everyday person that doesn't really care about this kind of stuff, they'd be like, you're fucking crazy. Like, mm -hmm. no way the CIA doesn't, you know, mind it, control people. It just sounds, it does right, sound crazy. But right. Like the LAP or the district attorney's office said, you're crazy for bringing this up. Like, yeah. This is crazy. And talk. you're never going to prove it. You're just not. They're never going to let you get those files to prove it. And as far as happen. all we know is... There's like 30,000, which a lot of it's still, you know, classified, but it, it sounds crazy. Yeah. When you tell somebody, yeah, this is this is the defense that the CIA used mind control techniques. Right. Yeah. You hear the word right. no programmed. Yeah. You're like, uh, well, OK, I'm done listening to this. This is this is tomfoolery. That it's completely real, at least that they wanted to accomplish it and they tried to accomplish it. And ruined a lot of people's lives trying to accomplish right. it. Then somebody jump out the window. Then they dose him with acid and he ended up mm -hmm. jumping out a big hotel window. Yeah, on one of their Ultra. top uh, like like bioweapons guy. Yeah, guy. yeah. Mm -hmm. Like I don't want to derail this on the CIA stuff, but remember they That's had... That's where we're at from here on out, pal, so... Well, they had the uh, Midnight Climax also yeah. fell under MK Ultra, where they were just... <laughs> <laughs> they were just dosing people on the... Yeah, uh, on yeah. the beach with LSD, just to kind of sit back on the beach and just watch how these people like, act. Who does that? That yeah. used to be the hot ticket to try to win in college. Like, are you going to get Mike's Midnight Climax? <laughs> they went for like a grand a ticket. At a that, grand at a ticket. Oh, so it was like a raffle kind of deal. But they'd be like, there'd be a ticket, and you'd have to have it at the end of the night, and people would be like, you know, selling mm. that on the streets. You know how many uh, like bootleg tickets I had to turn away? Tons bootleg <laughs> tickets. <laughs> And then the remote viewing gets thrown into this, too. The CIA was doing some crazy shit back in the 50s through the 70s. Probably still are. Detective Hank Hernandez already brought remote viewing in when he told Serrano that Bobby was probably watching, you know, from the grave. That's uh, true. You know, and needed her to confess that she made it up so he can rest easy because he was so distraught that she was talking about this polka dot dress girl. That was fucking weird. Really weird. So now the question becomes why? Why would the CIA want Bobby Kennedy killed if we're going with this theory? The biggest and most obvious answer to this is the assassination of his brother, John F. Kennedy. Tons of conspiracy theories surround President Kennedy's death. Bobby Kennedy himself was never satisfied with the findings of the Warren Commission. He believed there was more to the assassination of his brother than simply Lee Harvey Oswald acting alone. One of the leading conspiracy theories in President Kennedy's death is that the CIA was involved. So if you're the CIA, would you really want his brother in the most powerful office in the country? Bobby was known as like a bulldog, you know, when he was uh, the head of the Justice Department and um, uh, attorney general. So, you know, he was going to go after anybody that he felt was that did, did him wrong or did anybody wrong and or killed his brother. And he might have reopened the case or tried to reopen the case. And the, the easy answer is the CIA took him out so that they wouldn't have to answer for that. A second theory and one that gets 
this is a little deep, was mentioned in Fernando Farah's book, the one we just we talked about earlier about the girl in the polka dot dress. While talking with John Fahey, the girl who we believe is the one in the polka dot dress mentioned having recently met Anna Chenault. Who is Anna Chenault? She was born in China, and through her husband, who had CIA ties, she became a powerhouse in the Republican Party. She was on the Republican National Committee and was known as the Dragon Girl by her detractors. Of her many roles within the, within the party, one of them was to get Richard Nixon elected president in 1968. In trying to do so, she helped arrange private meetings between Nixon and the South Vietnamese. Nixon and many other Republicans were secretly trying to urge the South Vietnamese to not participate in the Paris peace talks that President Johnson was arranging in an effort to end the Vietnam War. The Nixon people felt that if the war ended before the election, it could hurt the Republicans' chance to take the White House. Country first, am I right? Yeah, well, sure. (laughs) I am a real American. Fucking outrageous. Uh, Nixon's biggest obstacle, though, in all of this was Bobby Kennedy. Bobby had been a longtime supporter of peace in Vietnam, and Republicans felt if he won the Democratic nomination for president, it would really hurt their chances of winning the election. Given Chenault's power and her connections to the CIA, it's speculated by Farah in his book that she and the CIA may have had a role in getting Sirhan involved in MK Ultra and the Manchurian Candidate uh, connection. And she recruited the girl in the polka dot dress to act as Sirhan's handler and the one to see to it that Sirhan shot Bobby, thus stopping him from winning the nomination. I understand this might be a bit of a stretch, but it's a very interesting theory nonetheless involving the CIA. And based on, Ian, a lot of the things you explained, could very credible. One last note about Farah's book that ties in with the CIA theory. While he was going through all of this investigation, he discovered that Manny Pena who had retired from the LAPD in 1967 to go work for a State Department program that had secret ties to the CIA. Now, however, Farah discovered that Pena was back in L.A. working for the LAPD, telling Farah he didn't like his, quote, desk job in Washington. Pena's new position, second-in-command of the Special Unit Senator, SUS, the LAPD task force (laughs) set up to investigate the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy. Sounds sus to me. <laughs> it certainly does. A lot going on here. Okay, I have a question about how you say her last name? Chenault. Ch- Chenault, yeah. When you say that she was um, had a role in getting Sirhan involved in MKUltra, mm-hmm. do you mean that she went out and found him? No, I don't think she personally would have because she okay. was too high profile. Okay. And what... I don't remember from last week. What was Sirhan's, uh, like, where did he fit in in the class system of the United States as far as? They were as pretty poor. Yeah, they poor. were, I mean, they they had come over from Palestine on a, on a, a visa program. Um, you know, they came up making ends meet. Uh, didn't have a lot of friends, was kind of an outsider. Kind of a loner because... Okay. You know, especially after his brother had said that after he had his head injury, he was more withdrawn and, you know, um, a little bit more chaotic. So it seems like he could have been a perfect candidate. Well, that's what I was going to say is that when he said that he went in for this head injury and that he didn't get it, it said that he didn't get admitted. But then he says that he 
was there under for, hypnosis. He remembers being in a, in a hospital for multiple days. A lot of MK ultra stuff. A lot of ways that they would find people would be in hospitals like that. There were hospitals that were participants in the, in the program yeah. and they would find poor people or people that just, you know, quote unquote, wouldn't be missed or whatever and just hold on to them. Yeah. They'd come in for a routine thing to, you know, and then they would be held on to and subjected to this stuff. And that sounds like a very real possibility. Like it could have been. Um, I'm also wondering if maybe being part of that visa program, maybe they had their names on lists as it's kind true. of immigrants coming over. They're not well off. Let's track them if we ever need them. You know, somehow or another, this based on this theory, he got involved in this and was brought in. And, um, you know, there there are rumors to be connections between for for the polka dot dress girl with, you know, if you believe um, uh, who was a Brad Tate and uh, Johnson, um, Tim Tate and Brad Johnson, they believe Elaine Neal was the girl in the polka dot dress and her husband was CIA. She could have been connected that way. But she had mentioned allegedly this Chenault lady to Fahey when they had their day together, you know, between blowjobs, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Fahey's day out. Yeah. And uh, and, you know, Chenault ties back to all this Nixon stuff. And that Nixon stuff is is true. That all came out. Like There was a lot. Of, a lot oh, of yeah. Shit oh, yeah. Like, that's not kayfabe. Um, but the CIA part and, and bringing Sirhan in, that's kind of where that. And this is all Farah, Fernando Farah's theory in mm -hmm. his book um but you know people also say that you know there might be still between the cia and and bobby issues over cuba um there was you know there was discrepancies over whether or not when he was attorney general if he ordered the cia to go kill castro they assumed he did have that order and they were trying to kill him you know like the old timey like put poison in his tea type stuff like yeah. all that so there was issues between the cia and kennedy going way back um so you know it could have been over cuba it could have been there's all kinds of theories so but in general this is the cia theory of sirhan being the you know the manchurian candidate kind of thing since Bobby was a big civil rights guy. Is there anything there that the CIA would want to stop him from doing? Because the FBI and the CIA were doing all kinds of illegal wiretapping of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Well, all listen, kinds of they were oh hundred percent. They were trying to destroy yeah. the civil yeah, it's rights. It's interesting Bobby now that everyone Bobby approved the wiretapping wire on Martin Luther King. Oh, okay, Hoover convinced him, Jagger Hoover, that that or. You know, told Bobby, we have evidence that supports he might be a communist. We need to wiretap. Okay. And that came out later when Bobby was running for senator. But you know, Dr. King, you know, he, him and Bobby were close. So, you know, I'm sorry, Dave, I cut you off. I, I was just going to say today, people, oh, I love Martin Luther King. And like everyone takes that mantle. Oh, Dr. King, this and that. You know, in 1968. They fucking hated Dr. King and then, yeah. you know, their grandparents, the same people of today despised them right, right. and wanted to lock them up. I have so, not seen any. I don't hear that fucking bullshit that they spewing today about how they love Dr. King. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's more than enough evidence that the FBI and the CIA tried to destroy the civil rights movement. Absolutely. By infiltrating it in a lot of yeah. ways. So that's why I wondered with, with this, if they would have any motive. I think it'd be very plausible. But by this point, you know, Johnson had signed the Civil Rights Act and Voting Rights Act and all that stuff. And, you know, they were they were well on their way past a lot of that. 
Bobby was still a proponent of it, but it could be. I mean, I wouldn't say that that was that was out. So I don't know. That's the story of the uh, the theories. There's a lot of stuff swirling around here. I mean, we're obviously never going to get a straight answer, but there's clearly enough potential things going on here that, you know, like, unlike most conspiracy theories, I, I I feel like there might be something behind this. There there is, and I think we touched on this earlier when we were talking about the JFK one. There's a lot of theories with JFK and Ian, like you said, it's the most believed conspiracy theory. Mm. But there's not a ton of evidence there's for not. the JFK one. This one, there, we just went through a good chunk of evidence to support something else going on sure. behind the scenes. You know, this one doesn't get talked about nearly as much. And I understand he's not a, a president of the United States getting assassinated. Um, still a, a big name and a, a key figure in this country. Yeah. There's a lot. Uh, there's a lot to this one. And no answers. No answers. What do you guys think? I mean, what are your thoughts? Where where, are you, where do your heads go with this? What do you believe? What do you think is bullshit? I have trouble trying to come up with a reason why Serrano is making up that story. Like, for what purpose? With the polka dot dress. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a very... She's a credible... Sincere. Like, working for the campaign. What possible reason would she make this story up? And what possible reason would Fernandez... The LAPD tried Hernan- to, Hernandez, Hank Hernandez, Hernandez. Yes. Sorry, yes. be trying to berate her story, and then I mean, you heard him berating aggressively, her aggressively, aggressively telling her she was lying. Like, why? That's just so out of bounds. If you're searching for the truth of what happened, that you would be like, doing that. It doesn't st- make any sense. You could still take her statement and then move on and say, well, we didn't have any corroborating evidence to go with that. And discount her statement and but say, yeah, she was beating- hysterical, whatever. But why the harsh pushing back like that, trying to and get her to sign the statement, you know, re- retracting what she said, her, wi- and, her witness statement. And I think in their mind, like we talked about, you're cutting the head off the snake. Yeah. She gave that interview to NBC. And they took that and went, see, she put it out publicly and it made everyone's minds run wild. Yeah. So we got her to admit it was fake. Now everyone else, well, that doesn't count. Or is the LAP just so vain that they think they know what happened? Sirhan shot them and they just want to shut down any potential criticism of their investigation. I don't know. It could be a little mix of both. It could be. It just seems very out of bounds, though. So what I believe... Uh, just based off of your your outlines mm-hmm. and then the Project Artichoke stuff, I think that when he hit his head, he was taken in and became a subject of MK Ultra stuff. Um, and I I do think that the girl in the polka dot dress was his handler. Mm-hmm. I think there's something to that pinching of his elbow. Boy, it sure Be- seems likely, huh? I mean, Project Artichoke's real. They that stuff that I that's why I put that bit in there about the um the CIA agent that they did this to, that oh. they that they took and, and did that stuff to because it's not out of the realm of possibility for them to just snatch somebody up and, and do this to them. It's happened. I think that that she was his handler and I think that I think he's for real. I don't think he remembers it. I think he was a subject of MK Ultra and Project Artichoke. He's certainly stuck to that story for a long time. And, and by, by stuck, I don't mean to make it sound like he's he's stuck to it. He has claimed from the beginning he does not remember a single thing about the actual shooting. Like if a story came out tomorrow morning, I'm sitting there watching the news tomorrow morning. And I hear that that story was 
100% confirmed as being accurate. It wouldn't surprise me at all. The, yeah. the MK what, Ultra. Like what he just said, yeah. yeah. I, yeah, that makes sense. And I think someone, I wouldn't be surprised. I think someone from the CIA probably saw uh, Serrano give that interview on the news. It was like, yeah, no, you need to break that woman down and get her to say how that is she the was cia wrong. in with the lapd though like how are they well connected? they had they had this pena guy we talked about at the end he was with the cia in 67 you think that's the connection that's one of but even in general if the if the cia came into an lapd office and was like hey look here's what's going to happen to just maybe the the one guy on top the the chief mm. I, I don't know. I feel well, like you could probably shut that down. Yeah. Cause you talk about the LAPD and the FBI investigating and not getting along. Cause they're stepping on each other's toes and stuff. Is the CIA different? I don't know. Seems. Yeah. yeah. I feel like when the CIA, especially back in the sixties, fifties, sixties, seventies, I mean, probably still today, but I feel like if the CIA told you to do something, you'd probably just shut the fuck up and do it. They just kind of make indirect, ominous statements and or yeah. implied threats. Or maybe like, the CIA. Yeah. Okay. We'll like if you can't, like I'm a CIA agent, asshole, you're going to do what I say because there's a few other people higher than me. I okay. want you to do this. Okay. Or the CIA comes in and goes, hey, we spoke to the FBI. They're, they're going Sirhan and squashing everything else. You're going to do the same thing. We're consistent. And now we move on. And now you solved your investigation yeah, yeah. and we move on. I mean, that it's plausible. Yeah. In my opinion, I think that Thane guy, uh, Caesar, I think he's just, he was in the wrong spot at the wrong time. And I think the chaos could maybe account for why the bullet holes are a little off that and sloppy police work. Just like we said earlier, just the, the CIA, somebody saying, all right, you could just go in there and fuck it up. Just make this real sloppy. So that's interesting. Mm. And my final thought, the only thing that like stands out and big for me here is Caesar. My first thought is Caesar killed Bobby Kennedy. I think he did. I think he shot Bobby Kennedy. But then if you believe that, there has to be more to it because just him and Sirhan aren't showing up on the same night to kill the same guy. I just that's too much of a coincidence. I think that Sirhan was the fall guy, the patsy, Caesar, with the um, the Manchurian candidate and the hypnosis. Caesar was there to make sure the job got done. Let's have this guy be the forefront. You get him from the back. You're pulling him down. You're shooting him. You're making sure he gets shot and killed. This guy goes away. I think, I believe, in my opinion, I believe almost everything we discussed tonight. I believe that Caesar was probably the one that pulled the trigger. And I think Sirhan really doesn't remember and was probably a part of the whole CIA experiment and was used as the fall guy for mm. all of this. Like they never fully got that unwilling assassin for artichoke. Like they didn't get Sirhan to the point of being able to pull the trigger, but they got him to the point of being the fall guy without. Maybe so. Mm. But I just keep going back to the autopsy report. It doesn't add up for Sirhan. Like if I had to pick one conspiracy out of this, to me, it's Caesar was the shooter. But if I think that, I have to also think Sirhan is somehow involved because he's there clearly shooting. 
So do they have Caesar there to be able to pull the trigger in case something goes wrong? And they see how, I don't know, is, is Sirhan hesitant? Or does I he give them in- some body movement that he's not going to go through with this? So then he mm. pulls down and starts shooting. I think Caesar was the one who was supposed to kill Bobby Kennedy and Sirhan was there as the simpleton who was going to be front and center and take the fall. I don't believe that at all. Here's what I think. I think the story about Sirhan is true. He had the writings about Kennedy in his book, whatever. I think he was going to kill him. in what sense? Like he wanted to kill him. I think he wanted to kill him. I think he absolutely remembers what he did. I think this Caesar security guy was kind of a bumbling security guy. And I think he pulled his pistol when he heard the shots and they fell down. I think he accidentally shot him in the back. In addition to Sirhan shooting from the front. I think he did not want to ever admit that. Three shots in Bobby, though. In point blank range. Like you have to be really bad to shoot someone at point blank range. I think he pulled his gun and he fell on top of him in the commotion. He accidentally shot him. Shot him once, three like, times. So it'd be, all three came from the back. Per well, autopsy. or was he spinning at the time, and maybe he accounted for two of them, not three. One of them, not three. It could. It's. It could be. It could. I think there's a couple I different plausible explanations in the movement there. It could be. Sure. I think that's the most logical explanation. That so you're you're saying. No government cover mm. up, no CIA. Sirhan was there to kill Bobby. Yep. Which is plausible. And Caesar just fucked up. Yep. And shot him. Wow. Three different. Well, I guess you don't put anything on Caesar. Yeah, I don't so. think he. I just think you he think was Sirhan in the wrong spot. Yeah, yeah, I think Sirhan shot him. I think that some of that stuff is based off sloppy police work and, and chaos and things. But I do think he was an MK Ultra person for sure. Crazy. Three different answers. Damn. Look at that. How about that? I love it. Alas, we'll never know. And in the end, Sir Han is the only one That's right. that went to jail. And will probably be there until he dies. Your only chance is if he, uh, on his deathbed, kind of uh, confesses and gives an accurate account. I mean, or I an account point, that differs yeah. from his current statement. You know, that would be the only statement. thing. Yeah, it's about the only update you're probably ever going to get out of this. So let me ask you, Dave, with the hypnosis stuff, then you think even under hypnosis, he's still able to maintain no memory of it because that's what where it gets interesting for me. I don't know. Yeah. It's also interesting, like going on the same route, like for years and years, he didn't remember anything. And then in 2008, oh, I was with a girl. Meanwhile, he's been reading books. Yeah, there just seems to be a lot of holes in his story. There's a lot of that, but under hypnosis, like, can they, can you still block that out that, oh, I'm lying about remembering the shooting. I did do it, but under hypnosis, I'm going to maintain that lie. That's interesting to me. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, based off of like UFO stuff, anything's possible, (laughs) but like with hypnosis, if you believe it, you're going to talk about it. At least that's the way that it's presented in the, in those type of cases, sure. those hypnosis doctors. What do you make Dave, if anything about the girl in the polka dot dress, then just, she was there that night, somebody that was happy he died. Cause that was, that's the other thing. Like maybe she was just happy. He got shot. We shot him. We shot him. Like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. 
And what sucks is like everything just leads to a dead end. Like, I don't know. Like, you, yeah, you go like, all right, I believe this one, but how do you explain this one? Exactly. All right, well, I think maybe it happened this way, but then how do you explain that one? I agree. I don't, I don't have a good answer. But, I don't know. but yet there, then there's just all this evidence of something else happening. We all agree something else happened. David, yeah, I don't an think. accident by Caesar. Yeah. And uh, CIA, Manchurian candidate, me, maybe all of the above. Like, I don't think the official story is, is right. what happened. Right. That and seems they, unlikely. And they certainly didn't make it easier for us by presenting us with all of this information that no. makes sense. So, anyways, I don't know. Good stuff. That's all I got. Well, before we get into the closings, just want to remind everyone at the end of this show, we're going to close out with that um, Bobby Kennedy speech on the mindless menace of violence. It's about five minutes long. I think it's one of the greatest speeches ever given. And it was the one uh, he gave the day after Martin Luther King Jr. was shot and killed. He gave it at a uh, campaign event in Cleveland, Ohio, incidentally. Love that town. I heard it's a fun <laughs> town. Um. So anyways, we'll play that to close out the show. So if you're if you want to hear it or you're into that, stick around at the end. Um, but I think it's a fantastic speech. All right. Any other thoughts on this one? I think we, we gave our final thoughts, but I love no. that. I love that we all came up with a different like kind of. I did theory. not expect that at all. I no. didn't expect that. But there's there's so much here. You can take it and go any way with it. My thing with these yeah. kind of stories in like Jonestown, you know, ten years later, but these type of stories from this era, when you see the CIA pop up over and over again, like, oh, this person had connections at CIA. Oh, this person did too. When there's smoke, there's fire. Yeah, it uh, gets to a point where it's like, okay, something is the CIA is doing something here. There's no yeah. way that they keep mm-hmm. popping it's up. Too much. Yeah. Um, and I will say when I first came into this Maybe not when we like started doing this show, but like a couple years ago when I first started like really looking into the Bobby thing, I was convinced it was just Sirhan acting alone. Not even the accidental shots day from Caesar. I was convinced it was just Sirhan and he's been lying this whole time and he knows what he's did. He's done doing the research. I changed my mind. So that's that's where I got to that on it. Uh-huh. So anyways, I hope people enjoyed the show and, you know, want to hear their thoughts. What uh? What's your next history endeavor for the show? Have you made any uh, no. consideration into that yet? Well, I don't know if we've announced it yet, but I think the discussion might be that there might be a uh, quarterly history corner with Mike on Patreon. I would love to hear it. Mm. I'm yeah. I, I'm 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 hard at this point. <laughs> fantastic. Who needs blue chew? Um. We've been playing around with that $10 tier show. We've been doing wrestling and movies and those uh, Bible babble. Um, we might work into that rotation. No, no longer Bible babble. That's, you know. That was a one and done. Uh, it was a perfect a season. Perfect you season. Don't, you, you don't try to recreate that magic. It was like the Watchmen one one season on HBO. You're still bitter about That's that. It. You're still <laughs> upset about that. Greatest one season show in, in history. So I think... Uh, I'm going to start doing a, maybe a quarterly history show at our $10 level on Patreon. Maybe not deep dives like this, but um, like smaller things. I've been keeping a list of like kind of shorter uh, history topics we can cover. Sounds great. So maybe that. I don't have any plans for a big Sunday show right now. So That's like a perfect mix of our interests. History, wrestling, and movies. Fantastic. Oh, it really is. Holla, holla. <laughs> Fucking Ja Rule loves that idea. <laughs> 
<laughs> I was gonna say I didn't mean to make the sound me to sound like a dick, but I, I'm taking my talents to Patreon. <laughs> so, <laughs> if you'd wish to proceed with Mike's history corner, I'll see you at the ten dollar tier. Uh, you know, I have nothing else planned for a Sunday show, and who knows? We'll see. Because uh, clearly, I'm not going to do anything major on a Patreon show. Uh, if we if we did something huge, I would you know I would save that for a Sunday show, but. Uh, I give Ian all the credit in the world. These last, uh, I started working on this RFK series on Halloween, and it is now hmm. November. Hollow what? Hollow, hollow. <laughs> oh, Halloween. Hollow, Halloween. <laughs> and it is now November 23rd, and we are finishing it. And I cannot wait to put these notes away, <laughs> go pour in Angels and Envy. And not have to worry about it. So, Ian, I give you credit. You do this every week. Thanks, Good man. on you, man. Thanks, man. That's a lot of fucking work. I stress over this shit. And uh, you keep putting out bangers. So, good job. Thanks, man. Good What's job up? on this. This was a really good episode. I mean, all your episodes I know are you, good, you, but you I really enjoyed this You had told me from one. the beginning you were excited about this one. So. I, I knew nothing about this going in. So, yeah. learning about um, the MK Ultra involvement stuff is all new to me. So if our listeners can be half as excited about this as you are, I think we're sitting okay. Two-parter. Hope the downloads keep up with it. <laughs> so, we'll um, see. all right. Dave, what do we got on Patreon? I have some shout-outs for the following new patrons. Kristen Randall, Jamie Laird, Deb Corbin, Shannon Adams, Hannah Hernandez. I'm Mike Namapod, and we're better than True Crime Garage. It's very specific. I didn't say that, though. What did it say? I'm Mike Namapod, and we're better than True Crime Garage. So it's I'm Mike Namapod speaking through Dave Namapod <laughs> about another podcast. Is that a good show, True Crime Garage? I've never listened to that. I think they're fun. Are they good? Yeah. They're in Ohio, right? I believe Is so. Is that a Columbus show? think so i think that's right yeah we have no ill will against them i have no will against any other podcast yeah, about in our genre because i don't fucking listen to them yeah i don't, I don't yeah, either i have I no know. idea i have no ill will yeah. they might be our swell guys but thank you for that patron See? for signing there up there you go enter button team close your blinds i'm on that team i'm, I'm with those guys yeah, you got to do that lauren brodo flexens marty m <laughs> Jeff Deemers, <laughs> definitely, maybe, possibly wifey material. Oh, she probably takes it in a pooper, huh? Well, to be a wife, right? You have to. <laughs> well, ass to mouth, maybe. I wouldn't go that far. Like, you just take it's it in the mandatory. ass. It's not mandatory. It's not mandatory. Might get you in the, you know, you might get bumped upper, up. Upper echelon. Yeah, yeah. Wifey material, yeah. ATM. <laughs> <laughs> Rebecca Harlow. Wyatt Bowers, John Wayne Dave is my favorite. I'm a fan of that patron. That patron has some good taste there. Let, me, let, let me them enter the ladder match with uh, Amy and the, the girl that apparently ditched you. Samantha? She yeah. must, um, something happened to her. She's gone. Maybe she lost. It was a loser leaves town match. <laughs> we probably made the same joke before, I feel like. <laughs> Justin, Jace Granquist, Ariana Diaz, Devin Douglas, Mariah, Rachel Osico, BH, Melissa Falvey, Melissa, Lauren Anderson, Caleb Brower, Trinda Story, Kenzie Acklin, Derek Herrera, 
Meg Basso, Jack Meehoff. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. We get it. <laughs> still writing your own jokes over there. It's not me. <laughs> Brett Casella, Tucker Long, Jeremy Near, Samantha Netland, Mariah Romanez, Tara Cardwell, Mike Wouldn't Disagree. Tom, <laughs> Tom Robo. I'm convinced. EMS 85, a Bicketer, Mike's clenched face form rectal pineapple. <laughs> Why is there so many Mike comments tonight? What does that even mean? I don't clenched face. What ripe? Prime. Mike's clenched face form rectal pineapple. <laughs> It's just a bunch of like words. You put a bunch of words in a hat and just picked them out, and it was like this and this. Cards against humanity. Right. Cards against Mike's humanity. <laughs> Cameron Barr, King Charles Fingers. That's fucking creepy, right? I don't like that at all. Like up in Camilla, fucking fingering her. King Charles oh. Fingers. All right. Desiree. Who's he, fingering? Who's he talking about? Camilla Parker Bowles, the king's wife. Oh. Uh. I didn't know who that was. Uh, you're not a b- big fan of the Royals, apparently, Ian. Let me just get some blue chew. <laughs> Cameron. All right. Desiree, <laughs> Daniel Reinhardt, Andrew, and Sylvia Beltran. Thank you so much, new patrons. Appreciate your support. Ian, what do you got? For iTunes, I have one for Rebecca Pewitt. Bearded fart face. <laughs> <laughs> Jay Wilkes, 7477. Sammy Bagel Jr. (laughs) Sammy Bagel Jr. (laughs) It's ridiculous. That's funny. (laughs) That's great. Um, And Victoria009. Thank you guys for the uh, awesome reviews. Dave, you got any international military shout outs? I do have a couple of military shout outs. Uh, Tristan Howe in the Army. Andrew Alarian, Army and Navy. He's a Damn. real go-getter there, right? Double dipping. Yeah. Tech Sergeant Wells Wes, excuse me. Tech Sergeant Wes Nelson in the Air National Guard. His wife uh, wrote in to give him a shout out. Oh, nice. Said he uh was flying back from India and got the shits on a 14-hour flight back from oh, India. Can you no. fucking imagine? God damn. Oh. I have never shat on an airplane. No, that's the last thing you ever want to do. Let alone the shits on an airplane. On a 14-hour flight. Oh, no. I would just die. I'd just open the emergency exit and dive out. You want to talk about an American hero? That guy is Hats an off. I hero. fucking salute you, Wes Nelson, because oh. that is awful. He probably lost like 15 or 20 pounds. <laughs> oh, no. Brutal. I'm glad his wife just put his business out there. Now we're talking about it. He probably was like, hey, honey, K-Fame. Sorry, Wes. Maybe I wasn't supposed to talk about that part, but I was like, this dude's a fucking hero, man. Wow. 14 hours. Can you imagine? Uh, On the foreign uh, reviews, I have Flick You from Australia. Thank you so much. Flick You too, motherfucker. I have a couple uh, additional shout outs. Uh, shout out. Thank you, Michelle from Island Time Cargo. Sent us some nice koozies. Yeah. It's like a cargo flights from Florida to the Bahamas. So I've, maybe, I've been using mine. 
You like it? I, I'm a is big it comfortable? Does it make the beer fan. go down faster? Keep it colder? My fingertips are so warm and nice. cozy. Nice. While the beer is still ice cold. It's fantastic. Thank you. And then, which was probably the highlight of the week. We have a special shout out to Ginny, Angela, Jen, and Kat. Four of our great patrons who had Brett the Hitman Heart record a cameo video for Necronomapod. And I think uh, Mike and Ian were masturbating all day yesterday <laughs> after watching it. I think they're still hard and excited. And it was... Uh, My boner is not left. <laughs> it, was, it was really cool. He uh, gave... They, you know... They gave us a nice shout out. He read their shout out, but he gave us a nice shout out. And fucking Brett the Hitman Hart talking about Ian, Mike, and Dave from Necronomapod. Are you kidding me right now? That was wild. So, guys, thank you so much. Super yeah, fucking you. cool. It was really sweet. He also called us the excellence of execution. <laughs> and the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. I was marking out when I when he started saying that. So from this point forward, we're going to be dropping everybody with sharpshooters. So just watch out. We might just tie your legs up and you'll be fucking tapping. It's happening. But cool. yeah, it was really cool. Coolest thing ever. Wow. But thanks, guys. Really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, that was awesome. And just in time for our... Uh, Montreal Screwjob episode, which will be dropping later uh, in a few days on patreon.com slash Necronomapod at the $10 level. We'll be talking about Bret Hart's departure from the WWE. Yeah, it's going to be great. And we won't speak an ill word about Bret at this point because close personal friend of the show. Yeah. <laughs> he endorses us. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. I hope you guys all enjoy this speech we're going to close out with. Uh, this one's, you know, it means a lot to me. It's a fantastic uh, speech. Thanks for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed these last two parts. Um, spent a lot of time working on them, so hope you guys like it. You guys ready for a cool down beer? Cheers. It is not a day for politics. I have saved this one opportunity to speak briefly to you about the mindless menace of violence in America, which again stains our land and every one of our lives. It is not the concern of any one race. The victims of the violence are black and white, rich and poor, young and old, famous and unknown. They are most important of all, human beings whom other human beings loved and needed. No one can be certain who next will suffer from some senseless act of bloodshed. And yet it goes on and on and on in this country of ours. Whenever any American's life is taken by another American unnecessarily, whenever we tear at the fabric of our lives, which another man has painfully and clumsily woven for himself and his children. Whenever we do this, then the whole nation is degraded. Too often we honor swagger and bluster and the wielders of force. 
Too often we excuse those who are willing to build their own lives on the shattered dreams of other human beings. But this much is clear. Violence breeds violence. Repression breeds retaliation. And only a cleansing of our whole society can remove this sickness from our souls. For when you teach a man to hate and to fear his brother, when you teach that he is a lesser man because of his color or his beliefs or the policies that he pursues, when you teach that those who differ from you threaten your freedom or your job or your home or your family, then you also learn to confront others not as fellow citizens, but as enemies, to be met not with cooperation, but with conquest, to be subjugated and to be mastered. We learn at the last to look at our brothers as aliens, alien men with whom we share a city, but not a community, men bound to us in common dwelling, but not in a common effort. We learn to share only a common fear, only a common desire to retreat from each other, only a common impulse to meet disagreement with force. Our lives on this planet are too short. The work to be done is too great to let this spirit flourish any longer in this land of ours. Of course, we cannot banish it with a program, but we can perhaps remember, if only for a time, that those who live with us are our brothers, that they share with us the same short moment of life, that they seek, as do we, nothing but the chance to live out their lives in purpose and in happiness, winning what satisfaction and fulfillment that they can. Surely this bond of common fate, surely this bond of common goals can begin to teach us something. Surely we can learn at the least to look around at those of us, of our fellow men. And surely we can begin to work a little harder to bind up the wounds among us and to become in our hearts brothers and countrymen once again.